Welcome to School of Everything Else. In this very special episode, I asked you guys to send me reasons why Nintendo matters to you. Why Nintendo feels special in a way that other console manufacturers don't. Why they infuriate you, what they were, what they are now, and what they could be. And you didn't disappoint me. What follows are the testimonials of more than 20 people on whose lives the Big N had a significant impact. I'm releasing this as the Switch launches, and everything old is new again. I gotta tell you, I really am intrigued by the Switch. There's something about that that just makes me go, like, that's something new. That's something I want to try. I could get sort of excited about a newer, stronger Xbox or whatever, but it doesn't measure up to the level of excitement I would have had when the Nintendo Wii was introduced. Even going back to, like, the GameCube and, hey, here's this goofy little plastic box with a handle on it that you could carry around. I don't remember getting my Xbox One. Uh, the original Xbox, all my Xbox One, all my PS. I don't remember getting other consoles. It's just Nintendo. They leave a, an impression on you, which is kind of what they've been chasing with the Wii U and hopefully the Switch. Is that that impression that they leave on you lasts forever? That Christmas, my little brother and I received a Nintendo 64. I don't remember any Nintendo 64 moments, but I do remember sitting giddily in front of a small CRT screen and playing Super Mario 64. It was really like the future had just come to us in our grandparents' house. And we played our Game Boys for all of Christmas Day, all through the eight-hour drive home, and into the new year. Uh, There was also Super Mario 2, which was my favorite, because you could be the princess, and she was awesome at floating. I loved floating across the gaps. That one was also the weirdest. Bird things that fly around on carpets, um, jiggly, goofy snakes that would pop out of vases and uh, sort of stick their tongues out at you. You just had this insane roster, like you've got two brightly covered plumbers with cheerful expressions, you've got a princess, you've got a turtle, you've got a monkey with a necktie, you've got a giant turtle with spikes and a red mane. It's just, it was crazy, and that appealed to me as a kid. That game is sci-fi to me. Andros, Lilac Wars, Corneria, General Pepper, Slippy, like... All these things are part of who I am. Opening a Nintendo on Christmas Eve is so pure, I really can't compare it to anything else. It's refined happiness, concentrated excitement, the experience within this little box. The world needs that. And that's why Nintendo seemed to have a lot of criticism, and, and fairly so. People know that Nintendo always come through in the end, you know. They have these great opportunities and amazing software, like the Wii U versions of Mario Kart and Pikmin and you know, all Donkey Kong. All these games that have been made for the Wii U, by and large, missed by a lot of people. Arguably the best the series has ever seen. But the Wii U library is so good that you can see why they're porting it over to Switch or some games to the Switch. Yeah, you know what, Nintendo, they're all right. They deserve my money. And that's even with all the caveats of them being truly awful at times. I'm okay here. This is good. I'm happy.
Brendan Agnew. Nintendo is my happy place. Nintendo is my happy place. My first exposure to gaming was on the original Game Boy. The first video game system of any kind that I owned was the Game Boy Pocket. And like many of my generation, my love of shooters can trace its roots directly back to hours and hours of Goldeneye on the N64. My wife first got into console gaming on the GameCube. My brother-in-law and I have shared countless hours of Super Smash Brothers. And the one only time I've ever waited in line for a console launch was to get my grubby mitts on a Wii. Worth it, by the way. I've never been a single system guy. I've owned a Genesis, and I still own a working version of every PlayStation and Xbox console. And to be honest, I've had my more than my fair share of incredulous rants and exasperated side-eyes at Nintendo's logic-defined business practices over the years. But yeah, they're still my happy place. My, my happy, happy place. place. Not just because of nostalgia. Galaxy was the first Mario game that I ever really loved, and I'd played damn near all of them to that point. And not just because there's nowhere else I can get my Zelda fix. Okay, maybe it's a little bit that, and I know that kind of undermines my nostalgia point, and shut up, I don't have to be consistent, I'm an American. But Nintendo is my happy place, because whatever your thoughts on their philosophy, they really do seem to pursue fun, above all else. They for damn sure don't hit every pitch, but they swing for the fences every time. And for some reason, no one can so easily activate the pure enjoyment that I associate with video games like they can. They may be the odd and sometimes frustrating relative at the party, but you know what? I hope they stay forever. Sam Chapter. My friends have been playing on their Nintendo 64s and Playstations for months at this point. And I've been telling my parents about Goldeneye. Just how cool it was, you know. You got to play through events from the film. You got to drive a tank through the streets of St. Petersburg. You got to throw Sean Bean off of an antenna cradle. Or England, James? There was even a secret level where you got to play through some of Moonraker. It never even occurred to me that my parents would give me an N64. I didn't get games consoles, we were far too poor for that. A Game Boy was one thing, but an N64 was huge. But when I came down that morning, there was a big box with my name on it. I had absolutely no idea what it was. And after our Christmas dinner, and we let our food go down, we opened our presents. And there it was. My own Nintendo 64. I couldn't quite believe it. And better still, it came with three games. The first was Pokemon Snap, which I immediately played and completed that just that day. The second was Goldeneye. And funnily enough, I never really played it that much, because the third game was The Legend of Zelda. Ocarina of Time. It was unlike anything I'd ever played before. This felt like the books I read. Um, it's just familiar, yet 
entirely new. Your, your friends in Kokiri Forest, they were just they were just people going around their daily lives. A bit later on, you get to Hyrule Castle Town and and Kakariko Village, and there were more people just just doing their everyday things, chasing a dog around a fountain, browsing the market stalls. There were people. They told you what they were worried about and what they wanted. This wasn't a game. It was a fully functioning world. I completed Zelda within a few months, and then I went back and completed it again, and again, and I just couldn't stop going back to visit Hyrule, just to marvel at the beautifully designed scenery and bask in the eternal glory of Koji Kondo's beautifully transcendent soundtrack. Then when Majora's Mask came out a few years later, I played that over and over, but everything I loved about Ocarina had been turned up to 11. The people didn't just do the same thing ad infinitum. They had three days worth of actions that they followed. People were actually following their paths through life. And you were interacting with them and making their lives better and getting masks for your trouble for some reason. Ocarina had felt like a real world, but Majora's Mask made it feel more like a picture book. It was just unfathomable depth and complexity of its world and characters. About ten years later, I was moving into my first flat. Whilst unpacking my wardrobe, I found my old little green Game Boy Pocket, still in the, the tin Goosebumps pencil case that I kept it in. I couldn't even remember the last time I picked it up, let alone played on it. The same piece of tape was covering the battery compartment from where the latch had broken years before. There was even a spare pair of AAA batteries that I always kept with the Game Boy just in case, and the little yellow cartridge was still plugged in the back. I popped the batteries in and booted the game up, just to see. I noticed that the playtime on my save was at 99 hours 59 minutes. As in, I played over 100 hours and it, the game couldn't log anymore. I also found my old Nintendo 64 with a few games that I'd bought over the years. So I obviously took them with me into my first flat away from my parents. At this point, I'd kind of fallen out of love with video games and hadn't played them for a number of years. So for nostalgia's sake, I plugged in my old N64 and played some of my old games just to experience again. I played about 10 minutes of Turok 2, another 10 minutes of Star Wars Episode 1 Risa, another 10 minutes of Banjo-Kazooie, and all but confirmed to myself that I just wasn't into video games anymore. But then I played Ocarina of Time again, and I didn't stop. <laughs> I was surrounded by boxes in my flat, and I, I hadn't found a job yet, and I didn't have parents to tell me to go to bed or anything, so I just kept playing and playing, and I <laughs> I completed the whole thing in pretty much one go. <laughs> I played for about 18 hours straight. Oh, <laughs> ridiculous. So it's been about 10 years or so since that shameful night, and it's funny, I don't think I would still be playing games at all if it weren't for Zelda. I've played every one of the main installments now, and I've even got the Triforce inked into my skin. And even though I'm getting dangerously close to 30, I still feel like that 9 year old kid every time I play a new Zelda game, and I hope that Nintendo keep making them long after I'm gone.
James Batchelor. My fondest memories of Nintendo are playing with other people. They all centre around playing with friends or family. The earliest memories I have of the of Nintendo are when I got the NES. I got the NES at Christmas and you know, me and my sister sat down and we played Mario Brothers together, although back then it's not so much multiplayer as waiting for the other player to die so that you can then take your turn. But then when you got games like, you know, Chip and Dale was a co-op game and we played together and she drove me mental on it. And we'd play Dr. Mario against each other and she drove me mental on that. <laughs> it was a great introduction to the world of video games with someone else like rather than just playing on my own there's this ongoing stigma that video games are very kind of isolating experience and for the majority of games yes even the big triple a games are very much you sit alone with a controller playing for 40 50 60 hours but with nintendo games not all nintendo games but most of them it is about playing together and that continued with like you know the n64 i used to have my friends over all day we used to you know during the summer holidays we used to have a whole day where we'd just sit in the lounge and play goldeneye perfect dark smash brothers mario kart all day long um, and it almost became like the multiplayer was the one thing that made having a Nintendo acceptable by the time the PlayStation was out you know the, the original PlayStation you know oh, PlayStation was cool and Nintendo was not Nintendo's for babies something that some people still think now um, but, but you couldn't play Goldeneye on the on, on the PlayStation. You couldn't have four people shooting each other. You couldn't have four people racing together. Multiplayer was what made Nintendo stand out and made it kind of almost acceptable. Obviously, they kind of peaked that with the Wii. The Wii brought multiplayer gaming to the masses. Um, the the typical story is you know Wii Sports. Wii Sports rolls out every Christmas, and you know everyone's got their own little me character made, and you play you know golf and bowling and tennis. And if you've got Wii Play, there's that little duck hunt game, and all incredibly simple stuff. But it means you can get your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents playing video games together. Now, obviously, for a lot of people, and you know, with the Wii and both the, the Wii and the Wii U, it became a case that you know. It's only at Christmas that people crack out the Wii and you know, or dust off their console and play together. And there were other, it's not just Nintendo. There were other games like that. You know, like the PlayStation Two. Some people only dusted it off when they had friends over to play. You know, iToy or SingStar. But with me, maybe I'm just different. Like with my family, we did play quite often. Whenever we had a meetup, we would then bring the Wii. We'd bring the Wii over. Whenever when I moved out of home. They kept on asking me to bring home the Wii just so that we could play Mario Kart or Wii Sports or Smash Brothers or even you know the remade Goldeneye, you know, together as a family. It, it becomes just a fun evening thing rather than you just all sitting down watching a film together and not really talking to each other. You actually engage with each other. Wii U kind of tried to continue that. I may be lucky in that I'm one of the few people who actually have a family who play my Wii U with me and um, certainly my in-laws we regularly I will you know put the Wii U in a backpack we'll bring along Nintendo Land Smash Brothers Mario Kart and we'll again spend the whole day plus playing games together and just winding each other up and working as a team and it, it's it is hilarious I mean it very much depends on the people you're playing with but it's hilarious. It's amazing how a simple game like Mario Tag, which is basically playing it in the playground, but with a controller in your lounge, like that can just double, like that, that can give endless hours of fun and not get repetitive because you're still, you're finding new tricks, you're winding each other up. I remember actually uh, when the Wii U came out, 
I arranged to go around to a friend's house and they had you know, the Xbox uh, 360 and the PS3 and we were going to spend the whole day playing grown-up games. And I'm using air quotes here, but you can't see that. Grown-up games like Call of Duty and FIFA and stuff like that. Well, I brought the Wii U because it had only just come out. And I said, well, do you guys want to give this a go? I swear to God, we spent four hours trying to find the perfect strategy for that Animal Crossing Sweet Days game. where And we'd pass, you know, pass the, the gamepad along so that each person had a chance at having a, a go at the guards. And it, it becomes hilarious and it becomes personal that you need to win, you need to beat the guards. Nintendo games, are like they, they, they do, they bring people together. And not just at holidays, but just for anyone who is into games. Like It can be a great way to spend an afternoon, a day, a weekend is just... Getting out a Nintendo console, handing everyone a controller, and even you know, even if you've got more people than controllers, it can be hilarious fun to watch. Switch hopefully has the potential to be the best of this, and um, not in a back of the car way like this. You know, like in the trailer where there's like you know people in the back of a car with their Wii and their tiny little Joy-Con controllers and they're playing in a car park. That is absolutely ridiculous. More in the way that that. It can have the accessible games of the Wii because the Joy-Con is nice and simple to use. It's got all the you know the motion sensing, the HD rumble, and all the games on one two switch are really really simple. But then also it's got more complex controllers if you use both the Joy-Cons or um, you know the Pro controller, so you can still get games um, like you know, core games that appeal to, to core gamers. You can also get more asymmetrical games. One of the best things about Nintendo Land is the fact that you have five players, but you're not all doing the same thing. One player is against four of you. Um, that's an idea that I'd love to see explored more. At the risk of finishing on a pessimistic note, though, I don't think they will. Like, the sad thing is the potential of the Switch will never be realised because people will not... And by people, I mean developers. Developers and publishers will not risk trying to innovate with that, with that console trying new things, trying new ideas for multiplayer games because there's just no... Unless the game, unless the Switch has a massive install base that they can sell to, it's just not worth the investment, which is such a shame. You go back to Nintendo Land, I challenge anyone who's got a Wii U, go back to Nintendo Land and look at those tech... It's essentially a tech demo. Wii Sports, Nintendo Land, Wii Play, they're always tech demos of, hey, this is what you could do with your Wii U, this is you know to developers. This is what developers could do with this console. Hey, here's Luigi's Mansion. Here's a game where one of you is invisible, and the others are trying to find you. Well, why couldn't that be a stealth game or a spy game, a Metal Gear Solid multiplayer, rather this this rather than that zombie rubbish that they're doing with Metal Gear Solid Survive? Why not a stealth game where one person's got the 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 Switch tablet, the you know the whole thing, and the others have got standard controllers and trying to hunt them down. Why can't we have more games like that? Unfortunately, this is kind of a hit-driven commercial industry, so it needs to be making money. But yeah, that aside, I am looking forward to seeing what games come out on the Switch, seeing what games bring my family together again and playing together, having fun, coming up with strategies, running you know in jokes basically mucking around. Colin. So, when you're about four and you're attempting to play Super Mario All-Stars, it can be a bit of a cluster you-know-what because the game itself has a depth 
and a feel that is well beyond the comprehension of a four-year-old. I experienced this and my sister, fortunately, has always been a sort of partner in crime. And so she would have to help me through the episodes. When you compare those two games, Super Mario Galaxy 2 and Super Mario 3, the core thing that makes that game great is essentially the same, and that is that the universe is just so inviting. Everything around you is popping with color, popping with uh, a sort of invention, and Mario in general has become an icon not just, you know, in terms of the character Mario himself, but all of the different elements of Mario. Different images like the star with the two little eyes on it, or even the poofy clouds with eyes. Obviously the uh, video game designers had um, very childlike imaginations when it came to creating this world. It just feels like a second life, and it's a definite escape from the banality of our, you know, just modern, everyday, wake up in the morning, brush your teeth, go to work, come home. Mario allows you to take a break from all that. And Nintendo really has been, for me all these years, about escapism. Nintendo is the most adaptable company uh, probably on the face of the planet, besides maybe Disney or Microsoft or, I don't know, Amazon.com or Google. There's a, a great anecdote that, you know, Miyamoto used to go into caves when he was a child and explore them. He liked the idea of exploration. And that's what he brought to the table um, with the first The Legend of Zelda game for the NES. And nobody had ever seen anything like that. But that's, I think, the secret to their success. All of these great games with expansive worlds and lore that people fight about over gaming channels it all ends up being one thing. A child's dream. Daniel Floyd. So Nintendo is one of the most unique entities in the video game industry and has been for pretty much the entire time they've been a part of the video game industry. And it can be really hard to pinpoint exactly what makes them so different from the rest of the publishers and developers and console makers out there. And I can't speak from experience, I've not worked for them, I've not worked with them, like I don't have any real inside knowledge to uh, speak from here, but I have heard some stories from other people who work in the game industry, and I have my own theories and observations about them, and I do have a couple of guesses, or, or a couple of reasons, rather, that I think Nintendo is, uh, is so interesting, and just so very them. Uh, the first reason, I think, and this is more on the business side, is that Nintendo is a very conservative company. I think they like to do things the way they have always done them. I think they like to run the company the way they have always run things. And because of that, they can be a little bit inflexible when it comes to adopting new technology or adopting new standard industry business practices. 
And this is an industry that moves and evolves pretty rapidly, so you really feel it. I think they are a company that likes to hire from within, because I suspect that's how they've always done things. So, for example, if they decide that they are going to try to implement some sort of online play feature, which they were pretty late to the party to, even though most of the rest of the industry had already figured out some pretty common standards for how to handle online services, my guess is that Nintendo found somebody in the company who'd been with them for a long time, just some sort of a programmer, who had no experience with internet or networking code, anything of that particular sort, and promoted him to that particular role. And that poor guy just had to learn on the fly and come up with something, having no experience in this whatsoever, which is why they come up with their own weird solutions to commonly understood and solved problems. I'm guessing that's why you see something like friend codes instead of what literally everybody else was doing. And I suspect that's still, still why Nintendo hasn't really created the account, like player accounts that are separate from the devices themselves. Still, like after so many, like after everybody else has figured this out, they are sort of kind of just starting to catch up to what everyone else has been doing. And it's it's infuriating, but I think that's just how they do things from a business perspective. And I think if you look at Nintendo that way, as a company that likes to run the business as they have done, because it worked before and there's no reason it shouldn't work now, I think it helps to explain a lot of their business decisions. However, I think the reason that they have succeeded, and they've had lots of up and downs in their history, obviously, but I think the reason we actually love Nintendo, and I think the reason that they still put out such great stuff, is that they have incredible talent in their software and design departments. I think they were lucky enough to get people as incredible as Shigeru Miyamoto early on, years ago, people who helped to establish the early basic rules for what good game design looks like. They got some incredible people like that early on, and they've kept a lot of those people for a long time. And I expect, my guess is that those people have, over the years, established kind of their own set of design rules and their shared beliefs of what makes a game fun and enjoyable, and their own their own standard and approach to making games, and they have honed that, and everybody that they have brought on since has learned from that school of thought and continued to refine it and build on it. And so I think because they are a company that continue to do things the way they have done, and they are a company that has had incredible talent for a long time, I think that is why they put out games that it seems like no other company could. They don't really succeed at putting out games the way other companies do. Like, you don't see them trying to make games the way Naughty Dog does, or the way Bungie does, or the way Square Enix does. Like, they don't try to ape the styles and design of other companies. They make great games really the same way they always have. And I don't think any other company has the staff experience and just shared knowledge to make Nintendo-style games as well as Nintendo can. And I don't know if this will always work for them. Like, again, they are a company that has had some incredible highs and some incredible lows, and it's hard to imagine them keeping that up forever without one of those low points eventually ruining them. But 
I don't know, they are a special company, and as infuriating as they can sometimes be with their baffling decisions and their own weird way of doing things, Nintendo is a company that does things the way Nintendo does things, and for better or worse, that makes them one of the most unique game companies out there. And they do put out games that I don't think any other studio is capable of. And I hope that they continue to be able to do so for a very long time. Daniel Den Heijer. Hello, my name is Daniel, and my first Nintendo was a green Game Boy Color. I actually bought it with most of my own money back in 1999. Mom chips in a bit. I vividly remember bouncing up and down on the couch yelling, Pokemon! every time the battle music started. Long vacations abroad, I spent running around tall digital grass finding Pokemon to trade with my sister. that the magic of Nintendo is that they try to be different. They experiment every time, although with varying degrees of success, where even the failures are interesting to look at. As a kid growing up, seeing Mario, Kirby or Pikachu was always a universal sign that fun was just around the corner. Now as a grown-up, arguably, this roster has expanded, not only by games like Splatoon, but strangely enough now also includes Miyamoto and Fizame. Seeing them enthuse over their characters just fills me with joy like no other. It is a playful, colorful, strange selection of characters is what makes Nintendo special to me. And if you've had enough of one of them, you can always just beat them up in a Super Smash Bros. game. Toby Jungius. The funny thing is that I don't actually remember the exact details of when we got our Nintendo 64, the first Nintendo console we ever owned, or how it came about that we decided to get one. It was my two older brothers who must have asked for it, and I just happened to get swept up in the excitement of it all. As such, I don't really have a clear, crystallized memory of uh, gloriously receiving my first Nintendo console like it was a treasure from a Legend of Zelda dungeon. Guessing from the release date of certain games, I must have been about three or four when we got it. Instead of a clear-cut moment that I can categorically say was my first gaming memory, I just kind of remember a collection of experiences all jumbled up together. The exhilaration I felt piloting an R-Wing in the first level of Lilac Wars, the excitement of watching my brother finally collect enough jiggies to fight Gruntilda in Banjo-Kazooie, and of course, the mind-blowing revelation that I would get to play as Adult Link, who had so many more dungeons ahead of him than I was even aware of at that time. All of these memories are precious, they're so, so precious, but they're all tangled up. I simply can't pin down which one came first. And I love that. Nintendo didn't emerge into my life at a distinct point in time, Nintendo has always been there. There have been so many interests I've collected through my life, and I can recall exactly how I first discovered them, and first experienced them. Many of these interests have become 
hugely influential on me and how I see the world, but I can always remember a point in my life before I discovered them and before I had my outlook changed by those interests. But Nintendo has always been there, it's always been a part of my identity from as, from as far back as I can remember. As I get older and I go through different stages in life, Nintendo's also kind of gone through its fair share of changes. When I look back on my experiences with the particular Nintendo game, I kind of remember who I was back when I first played that game, as well as where I was and who I played it alongside. The huge range of games Nintendo has produced has been astonishing, and yet they always feel the same. I think I enjoy Nintendo's games as much as I do because they remind me that I can still change but remain the same person underneath it all as I get older. Sometimes these changes are for the better and sometimes they're for the worse, but no matter what, I can always take comfort when I play a Nintendo game and remember what it's like to play games, to be astonished by them and swept up in it all that I am still that same kid all these years later. I am still someone who loves these series, even as they and I have changed. I think it's fair to say that Nintendo has and always will be an important part of my life and my identity. James Carter I have kind of a weird history with Nintendo. Uh, I remember very, very clearly the first time I saw and played a Nintendo console and game. And it's because I'd been playing hide-and-seek with some older kids that uh, we were visiting for the day. Uh, and we were out in, in the woods behind their house uh, playing hide-and-seek and I stupidly walked slightly too close to a wasp's nest. Um, and as they are wont to do, about 30 wasps came fleeing out of the uh, the nest all over me, uh, under my t-shirt and kind of all over my body, stinging me. Um, I ended up with sort of between 40 and 50 stings all over me. Uh, not a nice experience, as you imagine. And after one of the older boys, really smartly, uh, rushed me down to the river and dunked me in it to get all the wasps off. Um, and they took me back to the house and sort of wrapped me in a, in a blanket, adults sort of everywhere, panicking about how I was um, I remember because of my fragile state being sat in front of uh, an NES and being allowed to be the one to play with no one else interfering or interrupting this was my kind of uh, reward for having survived my wasp onslaught um, and I remember very distinctly being allowed to play Duck Hunt with obviously the uh, light gun and uh, Super Mario Brothers, and it's it's straight. It wasn't the first video game I played by any stretch. Uh, it probably wasn't even necessarily the first time I'd seen uh, an NES. But I remember those two games and seeing them for the first time and playing them for the first time um, so sharply. Uh, no pun intended, because of the immense pain I was in at the time and the the relief and the amazement and the awe of being able to interact with 
ducks on a screen or um, little Goombas sort of walking along uh, towards me for the first time. Um, and we had, a, I think, a ZX Spectrum in the house at the time and, a, you know, Commodore 64 and the notion of being able to plug a cartridge into this and it booted up straight away into the game um, and somehow the colours seemed more vibrant and everything about it just seemed fun in a way that I hadn't associated with uh, with video games at all up to that point, I think, probably. Anyway, in, in the year or two after that, I got a Game Boy and as for most people you know Tetris on the Game Boy is something I, I still remember and then Super Nintendo and it's fair to say my early video gaming identity I suppose uh, in a way that could be seen as almost fanboyish I guess is tied to Nintendo in that way um, you know in years after I would start playing on PC more um, skipping out N64 and GameCube um, and, and kind of missing that 3D era of um, of Nintendo games, but there's there's still to this day something special about that 2D era of Nintendo for me. That means that from the Wii onwards, I have been an ardent fan of of Nintendo. Um, being a, a fan of a, a platform isn't something I really do. I go where the games are, but there's certainly still uh, an electricity in the air around a new Nintendo console. Um, and not just for the new games, of course, because going back and revisiting Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past on Virtual Console is uh, is still something I, I look forward to and, and I pick up uh, you know, Street Fighter 2 iterations through Virtual Console and um, any old game that I have any kind of nostalgia for, I'll, I'll pick up. Um, and it's no different this time around. You know, the Nintendo Switch launching with Bomberman, that rings all kind of nostalgia bells in my head. It doesn't mean that I lap up everything Nintendo does, but it certainly means that there's still that kind of association, that integral association between Nintendo and video games for me that I don't think any other developer or hardware manufacturer has at this point. I'm, I'm not sure if, if that'll ever change, but your Marios and Zeldas certainly are core to what I think of when I think of video games. And that's what makes the, uh, the arrival of a new console, much like opening up on Christmas Day a Super Nintendo with Super Mario All-Stars, that rush that feeling of this is something new, there's going to be something special here that comes with new Nintendo console and, and a new Nintendo game like uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Joshua Garrity. So you can achieve greatness as a piece of art through a few means, one of which is to be massively influential. So maybe not polished, maybe not, you know, a perfect summation of what it's trying to be, but it's so daring and so 
uh, foundational in the ideas that it's coming up with and and really opening the door for other creators to follow in the footsteps of and and build on the foundations being established. So when I'm thinking in the context of games, when I think of like a really influential title that kind of changed the game, uh, I think of Deus Ex, you know, a bit clunky and um, not mechanically precise. But in terms of what they're doing, you know, combining the first-person shooter with all these RPG mechanics and this really open level design that allows you to experiment with the systems and and play with them in all these different ways, Deus Ex really shook up genre conventions uh, and went on to be a point of reference for many developers in the industry, you know, it's still having an impact on game design now. Another avenue um, a piece of art can take to achieve greatness is to just take all of the lessons that have been learned over a period of time. Uh, that can be five years, that could be a decade, that could be 20 years. Just take all of those genre conventions, all of those concepts that have built up over time and then build something that becomes like the perfect summation of the genre that this uh, game or film or whatever is operating in um, and becomes a measuring stick for the genre um, of how like this is what you could be if you get if you nail everything and in the context of games uh, what I think of there is something like Resident Evil Remake. Resident Evil Remake is very much um, building on the foundations of stuff that came before, an entire decade's worth of survival horror games. But it is such a perfect summation of that genre, and it's become you know, this point of reference for people. Survival horror, if you want to get survival horror right you go to Resident Evil Remake because that is the gold standard by which it's measured by. So getting finally getting on to Nintendo... Um, the reason why Nintendo is special is because at any given point in time, uh, they can be both of those things, right? So they can be monumentally influential and just shake up the industry. And at, and at a different point in time, they can be the craftsmen. They can be the people who aren't shaking things up, but are creating the gold standards by which a genre is going to be measured by. So a good uh, example of this is so the NES era. In the NES era, Nintendo was creating genres. Right, we we don't because Mario and and the Legend of Zelda and Metroid are so established in. Um, video game pop culture the impact of that is kind of lost over time but at the time put your mind back when the NES came out Nintendo was creating genres you can't get more influential than that and then in the next generation of consoles with the Super Nintendo 
<laughs> Nintendo took the genres it created and then created the gold standards by which the entire genre would be measured by. So you have A Link to the Past, you have Super Metroid, you have Super Mario World. These games are still referenced as like like Super Mario World is still considered by many to be the greatest 2D platformer of all time. Super Metroid still considered the greatest Metroidvania of all time. And depending who you're talking to, a bit more debate with the Legend of Zelda series, but depending who you're talking to, A Link to the Past is still the greatest Zelda game that's ever been created. And then you go into the N64 era... And they're kind of doing both at the same time. You've got um, uh, Mario 64, you've got Ocarina of Time, games that are held up as gold standards of the genre, but also making huge leaps in terms of 3D level design and 3D movement and controls. Um, You forget how... like Mario 64 has aged a bit, but you forget what 3D platformers controlled like before Mario 64 came along. It established so many mechanisms and systems that everyone just copied. And Ocarina of Time, you know, it's it's still in the debate, uh, with, you know, for the greatest example of a Zelda game. And it created all these action mechanisms like the lock-on camera and, and stuff like that that... Um, other games in that genre still use Dark Souls. I mean, Dark Souls. I, I, I think Dark Souls is another kind of influential title, but it borrows a lot from what Nintendo did uh, in the N64 era. So, if I'm thinking about why Nintendo are special and and you know why they're important to me, it's because they're this really rare mix of craftsmen who are uh, creative to a degree that seismically shifts the industry. They can be the people setting the gold standard and changing things. Um, And I'm excited to see what they do with the Switch because for a, a while there... They kind of rested on their... They lent more on the craftsman persona. And for the Wii U and the Wii, they were kind of just um, continuing to iterate on the stuff they've done before. And I'm hoping, and it looks like it is, The Legend of Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild is going to be a return of the craftsman and the innovator working hand in hand. That two sides of the company coming together again and showing us exactly uh, what the potential of the genre is while also creating new rules and new mechanisms within which that genre can operate under. That is why I think Nintendo are special. (laughs) 
This is a piece I originally wrote on Nintendo after their disastrous 2008 E3 event. They were flying high on the success of the Wii, and Wii Sports, and Wii Fit, and Nintendo fans were, this long-time Nintendo fans, were getting worried that they would never see games of the kind they love again. I really can't express now, in the wake of the Wii U and all those great returns to form that we've had in the years since, that nobody in the general public seemed to give a toss about how few truly great games had come out recently, back in 2008, or were on the horizon. It was a worrying time. My old friend Nintendo. I sit gazing into my rapidly cooling coffee. It's two in the afternoon on a sunny day in the sleepy New York bistro. Nintendo, sitting across from me, laughs uproariously into his cell phone and says his goodbyes to the cooler, closing it and setting it beside his untouched cup. That was Time magazine, he says. They want to do an interview with me this week. I know, I say. He just agreed to meet them on Friday after lunch. Nintendo nods and takes out his Blackberry, tapping at the tiny keys and smiling. Mm. He says... That was the day we were going to go jet skiing on Drake Lake, I say pointedly. Nintendo stops tapping and looks at me as if waking from a dream. Can we make that Saturday? He asks and starts to check his Blackberry again. No, next Thursday. Sorry, the Tuesday after that? I look at Nintendo as he starts to pencil me in and my shoulders slump. It was never like this before. We met in 1985 when we were both very young. It was one of those friendships you find yourself holding up as a yardstick to everyone that follows. He was fun back then, and honest. We'd play at exploring castles, rescuing princesses, battling fire-breathing monsters, and all the other things kids find to do. We played better, smarter games, went kart racing, got into RPGs, exploring vast, imaginary worlds. He learned new skills, and I learned from him. Then came high school and college, and we still kept in touch, even though we saw each other less. Then I hooked up with an ex-girlfriend of his, who was a little more mature than either of us, causing an undeniable rift. Yet still, every time we met, it was like we were kids again, but with encounters tempered by a newfound perspective on the world. The imaginary lands never seemed more vivid and real, but our meetings were growing further and further apart. People change. They grow up and move on to greener pastures with the inevitability of little Jackie Paper. The last time I saw Nintendo, he wasn't doing too well. The imagination was there in his work, but he was having a hard time getting people to really pay attention to it. I was frankly worried about him, but the distance between us had grown vast and noticeable. We kept in touch, we both got jobs and moved in different directions. The way it always goes. Next thing I know, it's New Year's Eve 2006, and he's calling me up blind drunk and very happy. His business ventures in Japan, America and Europe are paying off so well he can barely get the stock in to meet demand. I'm so incredibly happy for my old friend, and I tell him so. But for the first time, it doesn't seem like he's listening to me. Then he calls me the wrong name. I mention it, and he mumbles something and hangs up. It's July 15th, 2008. Today I haven't seen Nintendo for four years and he's sitting across from me in the bistro with the world at his feet. I saw your work with the Star Gathering project, I offer. Great stuff. He looks up at me from his iPhone. Hey, thanks. What do you think of the sports programs? Also good, I say diplomatically. I don't want to bring any personal feelings of indifference into the conversation. I'm trying to be as positive as I can be, but it's hard when he's received seven calls since we've been here. I feel like the proverbial third wheel. 
What about that music project? That looks like great fun, doesn't it? Not wanting to be painfully honest, I changed the subject. Are you planning any more endeavours based on your old work, I ask? Nintendo's brow creases. That's a lot of effort for not much return. He says absently, ordering us another coffee. The last one took three years to develop and brought in substantially less profit than a cheap little carnival I set up in two days. But it was such a great piece of work, I press on. Surely that's what counts in the end, building something of substance, something of merit. Something that will last, and future generations can appreciate it. He looks stumped and chews thoughtfully on a biscotti. Then Cosmopolitan calls, and I'm alone again for 15 minutes. So I'll put you down for jet skiing on Duck Lake on Tuesday the 29th, OK? Nintendo repeats. Drake Lake, I say quietly and nod. Swell, he says, getting up from the table and throwing down a handful of bills. Listen, I have to run. I've got to be on the Tonight Show, and they stop recording in three hours. I'll see you later, I say, trying to lock eyes with him. He smiles, but his gaze is on his Blackberry again. Two years down the line, I get a call from my old friend. He says he has something for me to see and that I should meet him in his showroom. While I'm on the way, my mind fills up with the wave of atrociousness that probably awaits me. Grandma exercise programs, dog shows and family fun. All great for everyone but me. I am struck at this point with how selfish that seems. Why can't I just be happy for my friend and his achievements? As he pulls off the sheets covering his work one by one, he watches my face. As the light falls on each of them, dim memories begin to surface. A fairy boy with a bow and arrow. A space bounty hunter. A secret agent. A familiar gorilla. A little pink fellow made of fabric. Finally, he reveals a bold sculpture of a cherub that I haven't seen since I was a lad. My eyes narrow and I observe his crooked grin. You remembered, I say. And he nods. I wrote that bit at the end two years later when Nintendo went back to their roots and did a stunning 2010 E3 event of just like game after game after game that we cared about. You know, it's a drool-worthy slate. Mario Sports Mix, Kirby's Epic Yarn, Donkey Kong Returns, Epic Mickey, Dragon Quest Nine, Golden Sun Dark Dawn, Golden Eye on the Wii, uh, Metroid Other M. At the time, we were excited. Uh, Kid Icarus Uprising and Zelda Skyward Sword. Whew. What I mean to say with the republishing of this article is that even if the Switch is marketed as a toy, and if Nintendo gets successful again that way, just hang on for a few years. See what happens when the general public tire of waggle again. They'll be back to us, and we'll share this patchy friendship for the rest of our lives, because when they really try they are so goddamn talented and because we keep them going when they're down
This next bit is from Pascal Dooley. My first ever memories of Nintendo were going over to my cousin's house and playing Super Mario Kart. And when my cousin eventually decided to sell his Super Nintendo to us, I remember that me and my sister used to play all of his old games. Like, it would be Mario Kart, uh, Super Mario All-Stars, and they never came with the manuals, so we never knew, I guess, the extended lore. Like, we had no idea there was supposed to be this story about Mario being from Brooklyn and travelling to another world, but we didn't care. Me and my sister used to just create stories based on these characters all the time, because... You could just clearly tell that Bowser was the evil villain, and I started getting into them because I wanted to know more about the characters. Like, I remember going into second-hand shops, just looking for SNES games starring Donkey Kong. I mean, I didn't know what kind of games there were, I just wanted one some Donkey Kong because, damn it, he was my favourite character in Mario Kart. And so I picked up Donkey Kong Country, really enjoyed it, and then by that time my cousin had bought N64, and... He had got Light Out Wars or Star Fox 64 as it's known literally everywhere else. And for those who never played that game, it was amazing to my little child mind because it was a video game, but it was like a movie. You had this group of four characters, the wise mentor, the goofy mechanic, and the resident team smartass in the form of Falco. And the three of them would just be exchanging quips and banter with each other. And you had this big orchestral soundtrack that was going dun 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 And I personally believe those characters and the unique presentation, that's always been Nintendo's strongest point. I mean... You can trace their history and look back at it. That was their big success. The reason Miyamoto got chosen to be the director of Donkey Kong, the original arcade cabinet, was because his design documents, the blueprints of how the gameplay was going to work, was little cartoons of this big goofy gorilla throwing things at this carpenter, as it was at the time, who would eventually become a plumber we all know as Mario. And when you combine this with Nintendo's drive to innovate the gameplay, even if it does lead to some terrible gimmicky decisions, oh, fuck zero. it does mean that, for better or worse, Nintendo always stand out because they don't act like any other gaming developer. You can always point to them and say, yep, Nintendo are doing something different over there. And that's why, to this day, even though I know most of the story-driven experiences I crave are on other consoles, even though I know Nintendo have made some very questionable business and creative decisions, and they're probably going to make loads more before they're done, I still buy every one of their consoles, because I know that a Nintendo console is the only way I'm going to experience the next chapters of Donkey Kong, The Legend of Zelda, Fire Emblem, Pokemon, Star Fox, and many more. Chris O'Regan. Hello, my name is Chris O'Regan from Spong.com, host of the Sources Factory podcast. I'm here to tell you why Nintendo is so special to me. Now, I'm quite old. That's 
to get that out of the way before I delve into why I have a special place in my amazingly still beating art for Nintendo. Here's a company that seems to exist despite itself. It is able to survive despite a myriad of missteps that would eradicate any other firm in the spin of a Dreamcast GD-ROM. There's another thing you need to know about me that after listening to me speak for these brief moments you may have discovered already. That being, I'm British. This is important because Nintendo's relationship with what is known as the PAL territories has been far from pleasant in its first forays within it. From releasing the NES three years after its appearance in its home territory in Japan, only to see it flounder in the face of the Sega Master System to the price-fixing debacle of the 1990s. This is where Nintendo between 1991 and 1998 purposely sold its products at exorbitant prices, resulting in a fine of £92 million in 2002. So yes, Nintendo has in the past been no friend to PAL. See what I did there? Never mind. And thankfully they saw sense after realising the fleecing of 350 million people is probably not a good idea. Yet despite this, and yes I'm using that word yet again in this speech about why Nintendo is special to me, is because in the now 50 year history of video games, Nintendo have been responsible for some of the greatest titles that have ever graced a screen. The list of them is almost endless and I won't read them out here, you know their names, and that very fact demonstrates how they have made such a huge impact on the medium we call video games. So much so that even those who proudly boast of never playing a Nintendo video game probably have, by proxy, as the games that they have played were directly influenced by Nintendo's much vaunted output. But that's easy, right? Oh, I like Nintendo because they make amazing games. Really, Chris? Really? Well, yes. In part, at least. The other reason why I like Nintendo so much is the sheer quality of its early games. That only now I can appreciate them as the gift of Virtual Console on the Wii U and 3DS has given me a glimpse into how phenomenal the games on the NES and the SNES actually were. They were light years ahead of other 8-bit and 16-bit consoles and computers of the time. They left them in the dust and yes I include the Sega Master System in this. For while Sega's 8-bit effort was exceptionally powerful, the number of quality titles for it was severely lacking when compared to the NES. As evidence of this, I urge you to watch Twitch streams or videos on YouTube of people playing these games and marvel at how complex and deep they are. Speedruns of The Legend of Zelda are still played over and over, and glitches within that game are still being discovered to this day. The amount of thought and effort put into the creation of Nintendo's games is there for everyone to see, even if they are completed in 28 minutes and 50 seconds. I'm recording this as we face a new chapter in the increasingly interesting and convoluted history that is Nintendo in the form of the Switch. I pre-ordered this machine in November last year as I knew I would want a piece of whatever Nintendo were pushing out into the world. So I shall be there at the midnight opening by a local game store, receipt in hand, aching to play yet another Zelda game. Because I like Nintendo. Despite themselves.
Leon Cox. What I actually found myself thinking about when thinking about why Nintendo are different and why they're a bit special uh, was it's more to do with firmware than software. And thinking all the way back to the startup noises of Super Nintendo cartridges, first party ones, that little two tone bading, uh, and the Game Boy as well, of course, had it. There was even a statement of intent in that very, very simple little startup noise. It was when it came to the sixth generation of consoles, and we had the the black obelisk, the mysterious 2001 machine that was the the PlayStation 2 and its front end. This is when consoles got front ends, and the PlayStation Sony had this very cool sort of not quite minimalist, but sci- sci-fi aesthetic with sort of shards of crystal and glass and things like that and whooshing noises. Microsoft, with its uh, with its enormous, very dark green, it's not black, check it. Original Xbox had this sort of, uh, when you started it up, there was this sort of whoosh of power, this idea that this box contained all this green energy and machinery. And at the same time, when you turned on your GameCube, you heard this. Now that to me says play, it says fun. It's also got a business-like air to it. It's like right, we're gonna we're gonna play now, and and that continues. But even more than that, not just the the startup noise that that's there, but the fact that apropos of nothing, completely unnecessarily, if you hold down the Z trigger on a controller, you get this noise. <laughs> And that literally has a baby or an infant giggling in it, as well as some very silly childlike toy room type noises. It's exactly the sort of thing that people who would dismiss Nintendo or or poo-poo them as being baby toys could cite. But there was me with my little purple purple cube with Fisher-Price carry handle, which in itself is a statement of intent. It's like this is a thing for sharing, for playing. We have four controller ports on the front, as did the Xbox, I should say. PS2, you still needed multi-taps at that stage. Um, And it was so much about that feeling of fun. Actually, I should say that the startup noise gives way to a a slightly mysterious but very wonderful uh, synth, sort of set of synth washes after that. Almost slightly eerie for Nintendo, which I'm not sure what the thought was there, but I really like it. And then... You discover at some point that if you hold down Z triggers on four controllers, there's a third startup noise hidden in the machine. (laughs) Japanese origins, Kyoto company, and that has some traditional 
Japanese vocal work and percussion. I remember on uh, Digitizer, the, the Channel 4 uh, teletext service written by mainly by Mr. Biffo, Paul Rose, who I now consider something of an acquaintance. I interviewed him a while back and we, we talk quite a lot on, on social media. He's a very nice guy, very interesting guy and a ridiculously funny guy. One of the characters he had on Digitizer in the early 2000s was this sort of PC gamer snob who would talk about uh, console gamers and their baby toys and it seemed ridiculous then it seems ridiculous now but actually if you look in the if you look below the line and comment sections in in gaming places particularly uh, where uh, format versions are being compared especially when console versions are being compared to pc versions you still get all this ridiculous uh, petty tribalism and one-upmanship and fanboyism uh, zealotry I, it's something I've railed about before and I find it all very unbecoming but I, I was 20 I, no I was 30 years old when the um, when the GameCube came out nearly and uh, I was too busy playing games like Luigi's Mansion and Super Mario Sunshine and The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker and Pikmin to, uh, to care that I was playing with a baby toy and talking of Pikmin I think the apex of this sense of playfulness this this idea that nintendo puts things into its into the circuits of its machines that is unnecessary but adds to this this vibe and this this atmosphere of play and fun came when i went to transfer my data and licenses from my wii to my new wii u at the end of 2012 Uh, such a thing exists for the playstation 4 i recently upgraded from a, a launch ps4 to a ps4 pro you need to input a few things and then you're faced with a few screens of uh, progress bars. Yeah, f- progress bars that fill up over time and it asks you to wait nicely and so on and so forth. When you transfer your data from a Wii to a Wii U, and this also is the case from 3DS to N3DS, if I recall correctly, albeit in slightly lower resolution, a bunch of Pikmin uh, help you out by carrying stuff for you. And in this case, they appear, they turn up inside the innards of your Wii. And these have been drawn, these have been modelled out in polygons. These are, these are directed cutscenes where the Pikmin pick up all these tokens, these icons, and carry them through this uh, sort of impressionistic idea of what the internals of your Wii might look like. And that's cute enough in itself. Then if it couldn't get more adorable you notice that they are actually cl- uh, carrying them they're working as teams making their cutesy little effort noises they are carrying all this stuff into a rocket ship they carry it all up the ramp they take all the stuff inside it takes a while it's certainly more interesting than loading progress bars there's even a bit of pathos as the ramp pulls up and the hatch closes as one of the Pikmin is still outside the craft. He turns away, droop-shouldered, looking dejected, before the ramp comes back out and he gleefully jumps inside. The ship then takes off and you see that its destination is a sort of bright circle in the sky, a planet or a sun with Wii U written on the middle of it. The ship blasts off. Then you have to wait a little while, not too long though, before you transfer, uh, you flick your input source to your new console your Wii U and the spaceship arrives in high definition and all the Pikmin climb out and they've brought all the data with them and they spend the next 
five minutes or so, depending on how much data you got. I think it was quite quite a long time for me because I download a lot of stuff. They work their way through the the in, innards of your Wii U, which is uh, sort of drawn. It's similarly impressionistic, but there's obviously the impression that it's slightly more sophisticated than the Wii's insides were. So there's there's a bit more going on. There's kind of a few pulsing lights and lasers and fans and things like this. They go. It's it's like a it's like a proper cartoon. They go through. They go up and down paths, zigzag ramps uh, through round up under and eventually they end up at this this sort of core space where they rest down all these uh, these icons tokens onto this big orange disc and they get sucked into the very heart of the Wii U and once it's all done 100% there is a, also a, a progress bar at the bottom but it's in the Pikmin style with uh, with a load of flowers filling up also has a percentage to tell you how far you've got so you know if you're still making progress which is always nice and at the end, when it's all done, the jingle that plays from one of the Pikmin games to denote a successful mission. And the Pikmin all celebrate. And that is, in a nutshell, why Nintendo is special. There was no need. There really was no need, but I've been thinking about the pleasure that that gave me for some years now it's over four years since I did that process I've just watched it again on somebody else doing it obviously on YouTube and it still makes me smile it's just a complete frippery absolutely frivolous but it says so much about the experience that Nintendo wants you to have while it's interacting with its hardware which as I'm always pains to point out ultimately is just plastic and wires and circuits and your experience of it is always going to come through the UI and the other console manufacturers tend to make things which are more or less functional sometimes seemingly needlessly confusing or convoluted uh, but Nintendo have Pikmin you can see more evidence of this sort of thing with, with the, the Wii U uh, Mi Plaza so when you start up a, a PS4 you see uh, icons and tiles when you start up an Xbox One you see icons and tiles when you start up a Wii U you see loads of little me's congregating and talking and that says it all for me so yes apart from all the games and there are incredible amazing life-changing games on all systems it's the actual interaction with the, it's your interaction with the corporation ultimately these are big corporations two japanese one american your virtual interaction with them is through your console's front end and nobody does what nintendo does in that regard so yeah special Okay, Lyra, I've got a, uh, a test for you. I'm going to show you an old commercial for the Sega Genesis, and it's telling you that it's got a thing that the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo does not have uh, called blast processing. Uh, now, you tell me after watching that what blast processing is. The Sega Genesis has blast processing. Super Nintendo doesn't. 
So what's blast processing do? And uh, what if you don't have blast processing? Okay, so now you've seen that. What is blast processing? I don't know. <laughs> when I what would you that, guess it was? Well, if I would guess, it would make sure that your games are really good at going speedy. <laughs> Do you think that they actually sped those games up on the commercial, though? I think. They did. They strapped a TV to the back of a dragster and raced it around a track. On the TV, you got a bunch of Sega Genesis games that were playing in triple speed. This proves precisely nothing. Then they strapped a similar TV to the back of a milk float with Super Mario Kart's title screen running. And they went, pur, 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 stupid Super Mario Kart. So what they're claiming is that blast processing, which was a fancy word that means nothing, makes the Sega better than the Nintendo. And that proves it, I think. <laughs> what? This achieved nothing more than starting playground fights. My Sega's better than your Nintendo. Oh yeah, why? Because mine has blast processing. Uh-huh. What does that do? Well, it just makes everything better. Okay, you tell me actually what it does. It makes it all better! You suck! Your Nintendo sucks! I hate the games you like! Because this is still going on to this day. Genesis does! What Nintendo Xbox has. What Sony don't Because <laughs> Xbox has blast processing. There were two friends that could go to each other's house. Mm-hmm. One friend asks his friend, Do you want to come over to mine and play the... Nintendo NES. It's really good. It's got all-day games, and I think you might really like it. And the other friend says, Does it have blast processing? No, this is what he says. What? What type of games does it have? Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it has Mario Pixel, Mario Jr. Does it have blast? No. You made two games up there. Mario Pixel and Mario Jr. Don't exist. What I meant was Mario Bros. 1, Donkey Kong Jr. And he was like, well, do either of those games have... Dot, 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 dot. Blast processing! <laughs> they better. No, I don't have blast processing because they made that up. Why would Sega lie to me? What do they have to gain? I don't know, an acolyte? Well, I would guess what they were trying to gain was your money. But also for you to argue belligerently in the playground with the nonsense words they fed you, like little pellets. Yeah, and... I like Sega, and I enjoyed the Mega Drive a hell of a lot. Yeah, but, but, what about blast processing? But I preferred the Super Nintendo. No, blast processing! Blast processing! Blast processing! Blast processing! Because it had... Super Mario Bus World, Blast Processing, Secret of Mana, which is one of my favourite games of all time. Blast Processing, Legend of Zelda. It's like a delicious apple. It's the League of the Past. Each time you get a game, you get a happy bite. 
Good to know. Bye. Bob Chipman. I think what's inherently difficult about talking about Nintendo as an influential company, uh, from my own perspective, from what I imagine or a lot of people's perspective, is that you uh, you start wondering about whether or not you're going to fall into the Disney paradox, uh, where you have to wonder, in the, the Disney case, you know, were these cartoons and these uh, children's entertainments really uh, the best when they uh, first emerged, or were they merely first and kind of got their hooks into a generation early and that colors your perspective going forward? Um, and I think it's absolutely true that one of the main contributing factors to why Nintendo is such a big deal and why people still feel so powerfully about them and their position in the video gaming culture is the fact that they are the last real strong dominant holdout from a moment in time when a lot of the current generation, the current several, uh, at least two generations, of uh, gaming professionals, gaming journalists, got into the medium. You know, would we still be having these conversations about this company if they had not been so pervasive, if there had not also been, for my generation, uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers and Legend of Zelda, lunchboxes, cartoons, bad movies, etc., uh, and for the, the you know, more later millennial generation, if Pokemon had not been such a huge dominant thing uh, culturally to the point where the games are almost secondary advertising for themselves. But what I think is important is to note that uh, even if that is the case, even if Nintendo's position in our minds and in the cultural psyche is disproportionate to what it has actually done, which I don't agree with, but taking that as an assumption for a moment, what is truly noteworthy is that they were very much a, a phenomenon as a producer of technology and uh, gaming that came around and came into being rather at exactly the right time in the development of video games. Uh, you know, when the Nintendo Entertainment System uh, and the, uh, the Famicom landed uh, in Japan, certainly, but also in the broader West and became a global phenomenon, it did so right at the point when gaming was in a sink or swim transition phase. Uh, early on, video games and home gaming especially had been this largely adult-focused phenomenon, which people really forget. You know, Chuck E. Cheese... Uh, you know, the idea of, you know, the arcade as a children's space specifically did not emerge until uh, the, the early 1980s, right around the same time as Nintendo did. Before that, the place where you saw video games, whether you were a kid or not, uh, was you saw them in bars, in bowling alleys, in uh, billiard parlors, or if you had them at home, uh, they were part of what we would now call a man cave type space, or a, a grown-up living room. You know, you look at the Atari 2600 uh, with the wood finish, you know, something that was clearly meant to be in a, a grown-up's entertainment center. Uh, you look at um, devices like the Commodore 64 and the Spectrum that were designed to resemble computers and be part of a home computer setup for those who had those as part of their uh, lives already. And that whole wave had really sort of played itself. The idea of gaming as a, a high-tech toy, uh, a distraction for a grown-up audience, had sort of, you know, lived and died its cycle. Uh, and then here comes Nintendo landing with this 
machine that is smuggled into toy stores along with a otherwise fairly useless toy robot. With these characters like Mario, Donkey Kong, uh, Legend of Zelda, later on uh, folks like Kirby, uh, third-party characters like Mega Man, that are very much aiming at a younger audience that was primed and ready for them. And on top of it, these were remarkable, well-designed games, some of the best that have ever been designed, and yet also they were so profoundly aimed at this younger audience that... You know, it almost becomes a chicken-and-egg situation as to whether or not the nostalgic appeal or the quality came first. You know, did a generation of impressionable children get into uh, Nintendo because it was technologically superior, viewed as technologically superior, or was it viewed as technologically superior and revolutionary because of our uh, nostalgic cross-cultural memories? And I'm not sure that there's an easy answer to that. Uh, I, myself, I really do tend to default to the idea that there really was a special, extra, important, vital component in that, uh, that early moment of Nintendo and what's carried through with it, and for me, it really is the influence of uh, Shigeru Miyamoto on game design. And what I think is tremendously important about Miyamoto through his work with Nintendo as an influence on the game design field is he was really the first game designer to hit big and really matter who was not a technician first. You know, this is not someone who knew about computers or was interested in technology or programming when he got into this business. This was uh, an artist who had ideals of being a manga artist someday, who was put into a position of remaking this uh, ra radar scope game into Donkey Kong at the company he was working at by as looking for someone with artistic talent and narrative ideas to project those ideas into a game in order to make it sell better. And what he came up with, you know, so simple by today's standards, but without that influence of looking at this game and saying, okay, all of the, the technology and the design and the jumping and the physics are all well and good, but if we don't give people a villain that we care about defeating, a, a friend, a girlfriend in this case, that we care about saving, and a main character that we can project ourselves onto and be invested in, it wouldn't matter, is such a huge transformational moment in uh, the development of gaming. And without... Uh, that without Miyamoto projecting into games that the on-screen action, not just the, the opening title crawl, but the visuals needed to communicate a story of a good guy, a bad guy, a quest moving forward, you know, we wouldn't have what we now think of as cinematic gaming. You know, there is no narrative attachment to video games without that. And as much as it's popular today to look at just the technical side of games, just the graphics, just the gameplay, as being the most important or, or the all-important thing, I really don't think video games stick around and get their hooks into the culture like they have without uh, Shigeru Miyamoto's influence through the wide availability and popularity of Nintendo products, creating this idea of games and game characters and game storylines being as much a part of our collective human psyche as cinematic stories, as television stories, as written stories. And I think that that is a profoundly important and underappreciated part of Nintendo's place in the culture. You know, have they always been a positive influence? No, not really. Uh, have they made a lot of mistakes as a company? Yes, certainly. Is it, in fact, often a, a mistake and an instinct to be worked against to project a sense of emotion and humanity and uh, love and affection onto what is, at the end of the day, a corporation? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but it's also true that these impressions that we form and these attachments that we form exist for a reason. 
And when it comes to uh, Nintendo and, uh, you know, the, the various Nintendo franchises, I really do think that that reason is both profound and, and interesting to explore. Neil Taylor. If there was ever one word to sum up video games, it would be Nintendo, without a shadow of a doubt. Now that's not because they were the first video company to rise from the ashes of the video game crash in the 80s, although I'm sure that did help, but they have got the unerring ability to create iconic characters and keep them relevant year after year after year. They have an expertise in just boiling down the essence of what makes a great video game and putting it there. Mario has been a simple formula for years and still every time there's a new Mario game you will see the excitement all over the place. Not just that, take a look now, the Nintendo Switch has launched and the excitement for Zelda is through the roof. Nintendo is just one of those companies that will always be there in video games. Long after Microsoft, long after Sony have departed, Nintendo will still be around. They are the kind of company that just know what they're doing and know how to appeal to gamers. Not a subset, but gamers as a whole. I grew up playing Nintendo and I don't consider myself a fanboy at all. But when I think of video games, I think of Nintendo. If you ask the average person on the street about video games, you can guarantee that they are going to match a Nintendo or a Nintendo character. They are so steeped in the popular culture of video games and what video games are about that the two are just so intertwined that they cannot be parted. And quite frankly, I hope they never are. I may not be a massive Nintendo fan, but I will all respect what they've done for the industry and what they continue to do. They continue to push forward with great ideas and keeping their platform relevant. Sure, we might say, oh, this is gimmicky or that's gimmicky, but it's always worked for them. Don't believe me? The Wii. The 3DS. Okay, the Nintendo Wii may not have worked out how they wanted, but in all honesty, does it matter? They had huge success with the Wii when Microsoft and Sony had to play, oh, we can do that too. The 3DS, we used to deride 3D. When it boils down to it, Nintendo is the heart and soul of video games for many a gamer. Nintendo will always be around and always be a fantastic place to start playing video games. Yeah, they might not be as successful as a Sony or a Microsoft, and we will still talk about the games that we played on those particular formats for years after us. Don't believe me? Just go on YouTube and pick a game from Nintendo and there will be video upon video about how good it is. Nintendo might not always be perfect in this modern culture with their attitude towards YouTubers and things like that, but when it comes to video games, they know what they're doing and I have faith that Nintendo will be here for a long time to come. They've been here for over 100 years, I'm quite sure they'll be here for 100 more. Name Chaibiti. Nintendo has always been a part of my life. I don't remember first getting the Super Nintendo. I just remember my dad playing Super Mario All-Stars plus Super Mario World. I'd watch him play Mario 3 and Mario World all the time. He taught me how to play. I was so taken to it because of the bright colors, the fun sounds, and the great music. Nintendo's always been good at that creating experiences. There's nothing more scary and more thrilling than getting into that castle and fighting that Koopa. 
there's nothing more memorable than asking your dad to help you through that barrel level from Donkey Kong Country, because no matter what, it's just too hard. There's nothing more competitive than getting hit by a shell, shot by your own brother in Super Mario Kart. There's nothing like leaving the system on overnight so you don't lose your place. Many of us were raised by Nintendo. Raised on saving princesses. Brought up by trying again. No matter how sleek and new the other consoles are, I'll always stand by Nintendo, as they have provided the individual experiences that helped define me as who I am today. I am Mario. I am Donkey Kong. I am a Pokemon trainer. I'm a gamer. Let's go. Derek Ritchie. I sat for ages trying to think about what to say about Nintendo. I mean, it's been with me for most of my gaming life at this stage, but I never really started with a Nintendo. It wasn't a machine that I had when I was younger. It was never a machine that I grew up with. I was always one of those snidey little Mega Drive people that enjoyed Sonic the Hedgehog and always found that Mario was just a little bit too complicated for its own good at times. And that kept with me throughout the whole 8-bit era, it kept with me throughout the whole 16-bit era. And for all the times that people talk about how they grew up with Nintendo, the truth be told, I kind of always saw them as a little bit of a product I never really got. I never really understood, I never really figured out what was that Nintendo difference when I was younger. And it was only really after the slightly troubled N64 and the GameCube came out, that the conversion process started. Um, I mean, even in the N64 at the time, despite its absolutely legendary release of Super Mario 64, I still never got it. And even to this day, I still struggle with Mario 64. Its open-ended nature and its um, almost play park sensibilities lost on someone who needed some form of pure objective to figure out what to do in a game. The biggest issue I always had was the fact it was so open and it was so freeform allowed me very little time to actually figure out what was I meant to do. And the confusion led to annoyance and then led to just me giving up most of the time. So where people cite points that Nintendo got them, it never really worked for me. And it was only the release of the machine with the handle, the first social console in a way, and that first indicative moment of Super Monkey Ball, F-Zero GX, and just a sensibility on the machine that, for every reason, just kind of worked for me. And oddly enough, didn't necessarily work because of Nintendo games. Again, Mario never really clicked for me, him and his awful flood mechanic just basically frustrated the crap out of me for most of the time. But it wasn't so much the software that started to work for me as more the Nintendo's willingness to sh provide and give a platform to gaming experiences. And while I can reel off a whole bunch of things about the GameCube and games that I absolutely adore still to this day, very few of them are necessarily Nintendo titles. Uh, it's the surprising kind of remain in my memory that for all that I loved that actual console 
I still haven't really fallen in love with Nintendo games. And it's not really something until the Wii came along where Nintendo's ability to design brilliance consistently allowed me to really appreciate what they were capable of. Which I appreciate sounds very odd to say, and for most people would look at me and believe that there's some form of heresy in that, considering all the classics that they've made. But Nintendo as a company never clicked with me until, well at least in the software side, until those Mario World games came out, until Zelda on the Wii came out, until Skyward Sword showed me what that control system was meant to be able to do. It wasn't until those experiences, it wasn't until the Wii U started to show how absolutely and utterly mesmerising Nintendo can be when you provide you with an inventive space, that I began to see the company for the sheer amount of geniuses that they are. But my Nintendo history is an odd one, and it's one that is not the standard script for a lot of people. At this point, I can't imagine a gaming landscape without them. I can't imagine a company that, even today, provides as much invention and cleverness in a very limited set of tools as Nintendo can. It's still a credit to me that they are so endlessly inventive and utterly captivating in some of the software that they make in ways that no one could imagine. I still remember the first time I used WarioWare on my Wii, and the fact that they found so many different ways to use a very simple implement to provide so much joy to a whole room full of people is something that not many other companies can do. I, I still struggle to really think about any company, to be honest, that can provide that level of pure entertainment so easily and so consistently. And I haven't even gotten on to the handheld sessions. The DS, the 3DS, giving me some of my best portable memories of my whole lifetime. And in many ways, I think the legacy of Nintendo is not necessarily in our home machines. As clever and as innovative as it can be, Nintendo's best software, its most impressive series of results, has always been in its handheld space. And it's not really any surprise to me it continues to dominate that. Certainly, looking at Pokemon, the Mario and Luigi RPGs, Fire Emblem, their portable cleverness and consistency almost puts everything else to shame. Which is, I suppose, odd to say because, I, again, for a lot of people, their, their childhood is Nintendo. Their gaming bible is my motto. It never really worked out that way for me. It's only through old age, gen a few console cycles and maybe a better understanding of what games are that has shown me how consistently clever and oddly bewildering Nintendo can be. And truth be told I would never have them any other way. I, I think we need a company like Nintendo if not because it's too easy for everyone else to kind of be the same. We've already got a powers arms race and that's fine, we've got two companies that want to go down that route. I'm more than happy for them to keep doing that because sometimes I like a pretty visual. But if we never had Nintendo, 
we'd never have some of the most unique experiences this medium has to offer. And we'd be a poorer place for that. I appreciate there's probably a lot of people in here that may be a bit more eloquent about them. And there's a few people in here that may have a lot more personal and in-depth stories. My Nintendo history is very much one that has developed over the years. From not really getting what was so great about them, to now understanding why if we didn't have them we'd be in a much poorer place. James Perkins I was absolutely terrified of the dog in Duck Hunt. I know that's rather strange that I was scared by a pixelated animal with a chip bit soundbite uh, when he was giggling after you uh, you shoot the bird. So yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. That's my that's my earliest one of my earliest memories not only in gaming but in my life in general. So as you can see, Nintendo has had a pivotal role in my gaming life and my love for gaming stemmed from those early memories. I also remember getting an N64 and playing Super Mario 64 with my dad. My dad has never been a video games player but I remember getting it around the time that I had my tonsils out and because I was housebound for a while recovering from having my tonsils out, I played a lot of Super Mario 64 with my dad and we kind of bonded over that and I, I'd like to think that if it wasn't for that moment um, we wouldn't be as close as we are today so this really shows that Nintendo has the power to unite the Nintendo Switch this is an interesting one Nintendo have been a company in my eyes that have always tried to innovate, have always tried to break the boundaries, try something new. And a lot of the times that has kind of backfired. The the Wii U didn't really get off the ground running well. The Wii was a success, but we've had we've had plenty of instances with Nintendo that their plans uh, and their design choices and their marketing choices just haven't worked. For me, the Switch is again Nintendo innovating and trying something new. They've advertised it quite well. They've got a small launch lineup, but obviously bolstered by the fantastic looking Zelda Breath of the Wild. So I think in that case, the Switch is going to have a successful launch, at least initially. Going forward, I just hope that Nintendo can keep the momentum going. Nintendo was a big part of my growing up. I made friends through playing Nintendo games, I created bonds with my parents through Nintendo games, and I spent countless hours in worlds with characters from Nintendo games. Fast forward to today, I've kind of drifted away from Nintendo a little bit, due to more recent consoles being a little bit too gimmicky in a way. I don't want to sound harsh, but for me, it hasn't really been something that I've been into. The third party support hasn't been great, although the first party support has been fantastic. That being said, the big part of the first party support though comes in the form of multiplayer and having to have a lot of people round to play these games with you. Unfortunately, now in the future 
whereas my bond with my parents has grown through Nintendo initially, uh, they still do not really play video games, so playing uh, local multiplayer games is an issue, and therefore I believe that's why Nintendo, in terms of their design choices, have been fantastic for the masses. For me personally, I've drifted away because of that reason. That's not to say that I dislike Nintendo, because I still do love their family-friendly orientation, and I do like the fact that they try new things and take risks. A lot of the time they don't work, but they're trying new things, which is good enough to me. Hello, I'm Gary Zantira Blower, better known as Zan, and joining me is... Imogen. Imogen who? Blower. Imogen Blower, that's right. And we're going to talk about Nintendo. We're going to talk about the games that we play together. So, do you want to go through your list, Imogen, and read them out, and tell me why what you really like about them? Uh, Mario Maker, because you can make your own world and then you can play it through and do it over and over again that's right and you like playing other people's worlds as well yeah and then there was that time when you set me a challenge to get through your level yes yeah so that's that's one and the next one happy home designer that's my favorite one because it doesn't have an ending so you can just keep playing the game it's the same as animal crossing yeah and you've played animal crossing as well Yep. What about one we play together? What one do we play together a lot? Mario Kart. Mario Kart, yeah. And what do you like about Mario Kart? I just like it because I like racing. That's right. And who do you always play as? Princess Peach. And who do I always play as? Wario. That's right. <laughs> Too right. <coughs> and then there's one we always play as a family, isn't it? We play it with Mummy as well. Yes. And Mummy always says it cheats. And what <laughs> game's that? Mario Party. And who normally wins? Me. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. And we play that on the 3DS, and we also sometimes play that on the Wii, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. So, which one of those do you think you play the most? Happy Home Design, definitely. Yeah, okay. And I think of the ones that I've played, um, I mean, I've played all the Zeldas, obviously Banjo-Kazooie when Nintendo published it, Mario Galaxy, but the one... I like the most, and the one that I go back to a lot is Pikmin. You remember Pikmin? That yeah. Was, there's one up there on the shelf, isn't there, somewhere? Uh, the red one with the... That's it, with the... The flower. bit on his head, that's it. <laughs> what do you like about Nintendo? I like the characters. I like mostly everything. Mostly everything. And who's your favourite character? I just like them all. I like them all. And we collect them, don't we? Yep. And unfortunately, when McDonald's do, then we have to go down to McDonald's and try and get them all, don't we? <laughs> That's right. We got um, a red shell, Bowser, and Luigi in the yellow pipe. <clears throat> Prana plant. Prana oh, I love plant. the Prana plant. That's Mummy's favourite, isn't it? Prana <laughs> plant. There's a Yoshi one. There is, yeah. Probably she would like that if I got it, if we got it as well. Yep. And we've got some amiibos as well, haven't we? Yeah. And what, what is it you think you like about everything that everything Nintendo does the most? Because you play lots of other games, don't you? Because you love Minecraft. Yeah. But what is it you think that makes Nintendo games special? Minecraft, that's all bulky. And Nintendo makes it a bit more real because it's rounded. and. Okay. What about you play the Nintendo world in Minecraft, though, don't you? 
Yes. So what what makes that Nintendo World special in in Minecraft? Music. The music. The music. And there's other things. What what, what are the big things in that Minecraft world? I can't remember now. There's lo- there's loads of Nintendo stuff in that there, and there's all the sound effects and everything else. But you can tell it's Nintendo just from the just from the sound, can't you? Yeah. Du, 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 du. Okay. <laughs> I mean, do your friends like Nintendo games? I'm not sure. Probably most of the boys. Do they? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Maybe they might know it. Your cousin does, and when cousin Thomas comes yes, in, he knows yes, the Mario games. Yes, he does. He does. Yeah. And he's he's what he's twelve or thirteen now. I can't remember. Eighteen? No, he's not that old. Oh. <laughs> and okay, finally, if if you was going to try and persuade one of your friends to play a Nintendo game, what one would you what one would you suggest they play? Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. Well, the normal Animal Crossing or Happy Home Designer. Um, normal. Normal one. And why would you, why would you say that's the best one to start with? Because <clears throat> then they can play other games. Then they can start doing Happy Home Designer like I do. Right. And then they can sort of play different games. Is it because there's lots of things to do in Yeah, there's yeah. lots of things to do in it. Alright then, okay, well I think that's it from you and me. So we'll just say thank you and goodbye. Bye bye. Dan Mayer. You know, a lot of kids would be accused of uh, you know, sitting around playing video games all day or whatever, and you'd hear you know, the occasional outcry from uptight parents saying that we need to get kids up off the couches watching TV and playing video games and get them outside getting exercise. My mom would joke that I'm the only kid she's ever seen who actually got exercise while playing video games. Just as an excitable little kid, I would get so into the games that, like, I would start, you know, just sitting on the floor cross-legged in front of the TV but once I was getting into it I was like up on my feet and jumping around and a lot of my memories were actually of the kind of random used games that my parents wound up picking up because obviously they don't know how to pick games but that kind of worked out for the best because I got to experience things like uh, Rocket Ranger and Godzilla Monster of Monsters things that largely are forgotten to the sands of time at this point, although I think if you look you can find like playthroughs on YouTube and stuff of those games now. Godzilla Monster of Monsters was this... it kind of combined like 2D fighting game stuff with, you know, giant Godzilla monsters, uh, combining that with like a tactical RPG played on some kind of like a hex-based chessboard or something, and it was like one of the most complex and confusing things I'd ever played at that point. And this was long enough ago that, like, you didn't have save files. Some people might be old enough to remember before you actually had game cartridges where you could save to, you know, secondary memory inside the cartridge. You would have games where if you wanted to pick up where you left off, you had to enter a password. Except in the case of this game, you have, you know, your various RPG stats and the exact placement on the board of where your monsters were and which monsters were still alive and all this stuff. So if you wanted to save and come back later, you had to go through the process of taking out a pencil or pen and like a sticky note or a piece of paper and writing down a string of, 
I'd say was probably about 200 alphanumeric characters. Just seemingly random strings of letters and numbers that meant something to the game. And you would have to copy those down as best you could. It would take easily 10 minutes. And then, when you wanted to play again, try to enter it back in one letter or number at a time on, you know, kind of the same kind of keyboard that you get today, which if anybody recently has been in the position of, say, getting some kind of product code or whatever out of a game you bought and having to enter that onto a screen when you don't have a keyboard, imagine that, but like four times as long, and you need to do that to access your save file for the game. I think I probably did that once before I said, maybe I'll just play as long as I can in one sitting and then give up. And then there was Rocket Ranger that was like this weird series of mini-games where it was like if you would get little snippets of story and then you'd have to play some random mini-game where you have to... It was amazing because there was the kind of these weird things where it could be anything from, you know, you have to fist fight a guard, some kind of punch-out type mechanics to try to defeat him, you have to shoot down a zeppelin with a rocket launcher and you only have one shot and have to just kind of eyeball it. And if you failed a mission, the story kept going and the situation just got more dire until if you failed enough, you would eventually get the bleak, awful game over screen with like Nazi panzer tanks driving over the front lawn in front of the White House. And it was absolutely bizarre, and I don't think I ever finished either one of those games. But the reason I bring them up is because those kinds of experiences stuck with me as much as anything like a traditional Mario game would. Like, if I had to point to a reason why Nintendo is still so successful even today, it kind of comes back to that occasional healthy injection of weirdness. Darren Gargett. Nintendo, they frustrate me so much because they seem to miss the general opinion of their, of, of them, basically. Like, people want a Metroid. If it's 2D, brilliant. I think they're scared of making a 2D Metroid again because after prime success, they kind of want to replicate that. Where's Metroid Dread? It's frustrating. Not only do they kind of fail to pick up on a long-running series and make it great again. They also fail to give you the whole picture, but expect you to pay for it. The Switch is a prime example. Everyone's banging on about how good the Switch marketing is. Which so far it is, but until they started releasing half the details of what to expect, it's kind of left me scratching my head a bit. We have to pay for online now. Okay, what does that entail? They give you half a story. Oh, here's some Zelda DLC you want to pay for now for the first time for a Zelda series. What does it really mean? Well, we'll give you half a story. I always thought they were a market leader, but they seem to be chasing trends and not delivering exactly on what those trends will be. Uh, you know, what's to come. But but when they do it, they do it right. The Mario Kart 8 DLC is superb. The Smash Brothers DLC for Wii U and 3DS is superb. So they get quality content, which is why we come back to Nintendo every time. We always come back because, you know, if you put a Nintendo game in your machine, nine times out of ten you're going to get an amazing experience 
sometimes life-changing you know you're going to get an experience that transcends other games and that's why zelda is such a big deal even though people haven't bought a wii u i know people are like mm, yeah i need to get zelda and it's like well you can't get it anywhere else mate nintendo like i said earlier they seem to forget that the internet is always watching and even if we're wrong we think we're smarter than they are People are, are quite bored of waiting for information now. Like, we don't even know when Snipperclips is coming out for Switch. We know it's coming out in March, but when? People nowadays, if they're going to be um, expected to put down a pre-order for something, like a, a £280 hybrid console, for example, which is really exciting, we need to know a little bit more about what's coming out in the month that is coming out. March is not good enough for a game that's... Well, for a console that's out in 10 days at time of recording. Like... <laughs> People need a bit more clarity, a bit more transparency in why they should be putting down the X amount of money for the new console. Because Nintendo are trying to hit the family market again, but they seem to be missing the price point that the Wii made it so affordable, but they seem to be chasing the same thing again. They, they, as much as they say it's a hardcore console, it's not, because they're, they're doing the waggle again, but also doing the traditional again. And they're not going to chase the same people as before. You know, your grandma's not going to be playing a Switch again because that, that's tapped out now. You can't tap into that again. They seem to forget that people nowadays, if they're going to devote some money to a thing, like a Kickstarter, to a Patreon, they want to know exactly what to get. And they're not saying what a pre-order kind of is. It kind of is a commitment to your thing. So if you want me to commit 300 quid plus on a Switch and a Zelda, which I have done, don't get me wrong, this is kind of where you know the tomfoolery of my side of my head comes in it's like oh, they haven't given me enough information about zelda but i pre-ordered a, mi a, mi a mid-tier zelda game which had um uh, a switch carry case uh, a map a cd and out of nowhere they just took it off Eng um you know european shelves america still get it where are we apparently i have to get the master edition now which has that tacky sword nah you're all right you're all right mate Nintendo, they like to ruin things that don't need to be ruined. But they lighten up the industry because of it. Like, So Mario Kart 8 is probably my favourite Mario Kart game of all time. Battle mode, rubbish. Why, why would they do that? The fact that they're putting it into Mario Kart 8 Deluxe doesn't fix things. Like, It's been rubbish for years now. They're very stubborn about popular opinion about their games because they think we're all idiots. Which, you know, it's the internet, so fair play. Most of us are. But you know, like I say, they lighten up the industry. Nintendo will lighten up your home. The Xbox One and PS4, they're good machines, but they're not gonna have that wow factor like a Nintendo hardware will. Like, Nintendo's hardware always has that kind of like, oh, that's different. And that's kind of why you get excited about Nintendo hardware because they twist things. They don't just wanna sell you a box again. They wanna give you that kind of, whoa, I've never seen that before. And then when you turn it on and the fun happens, the color happens, that's why Nintendo will always be in my household. Even more so now that I'm a parent myself. As much as I'm critical of Nintendo's business, I love what they put out most of the time. Their Wii U output, as I said before, is absolutely stellar. And my addiction to the Amiibos is ridiculous. I think I've got over 60. But, so they don't really do much with them. Like, you get bits and bobs here and there. You know, you touch a screen. You, know, you get a thing in a game. You get five coins. It doesn't really bother me because you know why? It's a tenner. And if you're frugal, let's say frugal. If you're frugal like me, you haven't paid more than a tenner from for ages. They look really good. 
again, Nintendo know quality and that they don't want to put out half a product and go, yeah, that's all right. Like, I've got a Chibi Robo Amiibo. He looks amazing. I've got a Boo Amiibo that glows in the dark. It's amazing. And again, I would buy Nintendo toys of this quality on their own. The fact that they do something in my game is a bonus. Hopefully the Switch will take the Amiibo thing going forward and, you know, evolve it. But I can't... I can't see them doing it because they've, they're stuck in their ways, which is kind of Nintendo's motto for years now. Nintendo, Nintendo. stuck in their ways. They give you an amazing product, but somehow knacker it in a different way. And I think the Amiibo's lack of functionality in a game is that. It's the battle, it's Mario Kart 8's battle mode, but in Amiibo form, you know? It's Super Mario Maker on the 3DS without uploading your levels to the internet. Why is that? Why? What are you doing? Idiots. But then they make a game called Super Mario Maker, and you can make your own Mario levels. Harsh swings. Like, big, big swings of emotion with Nintendo. And the more you care about them, the more passionate you are when they do something wrong. The more passionate you are when they do something wrong. But I'm buying a Switch. See you there. Holly Dotson. What makes Nintendo special is their focus on games primarily. Um, Sony and Microsoft dabble in a lot of things. They've also tried to double as entertainment consoles instead of just video game consoles. Keeping their focus on games, what they've actually managed to do is make a lot of really notable IPs. You can't point at another developer and see as many iconic characters. All consoles have good games, but Nintendo manages to always have good games. Their weakness has always been third-party development, but first-party development has actually been enough to sell their consoles and keep them maybe not necessarily in the race, but afloat at the worst of times. They're complete domination of the handheld market, of course, has also helped. And part of that's because they realize what makes a handheld really work. And that's that you can pick it up and play it, and you can play it with friends. The thing that's most exciting about the Switch is its local co-op and just pick up and play. As a kid, being very impatient, pick up and play is also a very good strategy. Um, it's really easy to get distracted. But they also really capture childlike wonder. If you explore Hyrule at any point, you really start to see their imagination, their wonder. They also have some of the biggest names, though, if you have passed away. Uh, Satoru Iwata, Shigeru Miyamoto, all these adorable, creative creatures. And they're not perfect, but nobody is. The big question is whether Nintendo will continue to push what their strength is, and not just fall into the traps of the market. To me, Nintendo has mostly meant family. Uh, it's one of the few things I could actually do with my dad when I was little. And my mother would play Tetris and Dr. Mario with me and my sister. And uh, 
my sister and I played a lots of games together. And is one of the few places we can actually still connect. She got the uh, Nintendo bundle recently, the, like 30 game classic NES bundle. And we've had a lot of fun with that. That's what Nintendo means to me. It's family, it's creative people, it's wonderful characters, and it's a focus on video games. And I hope they don't lose that. And I hope they don't go the Sega route and just create games. Because I like powering up a Nintendo console. Player 1 and Player 2. The Cartridge Bros. So Nintendo, things things that drive me crazy about Nintendo um, is probably... <laughs> Like, how they handle Metroid, specifically. You know, it's like, it doesn't sell so well, so they're sort of put it on the back burner. You know what I mean? But it's like, they know it still exists, because Reggie's wearing that Metroid pin everywhere. But they don't <laughs> give us a new Metroid, you know what I mean? They give us Federation Force. Well, for all we know, here's the thing. Here's what I drives me crazy with Nintendo, is how tight-lipped they are. Because what your problem is right now with Metroid could probably be solved. We could probably hear, hear, here's what we're working on. But they don't like to say anything until A, yeah. it's too late, or or B, nobody's listening. So They hold their yeah. cards very close to their chest. And uh, that causes the internet to build itself into a frenzy. And it's either mm-hmm. a good or a bad frenzy. So people are either getting... Look at the Switch. The hype levels built to such peaks. It was furious. People were frothing at the mouths to find out what is this going to be. And all these crazy ideas came up with it's going to be this and it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be 4K gaming on the go. And they're going to have <laughs> ports of all the same, you know, Uncharted's going to be on there. It's mm-hmm. And then when the, the reality of it comes out, then people are so let down. You know, and on the flip side, if something like the, the NES Classic gets announced, you know, and people start coming up with negatively. It's like, oh, it's gonna only thirty games. Why can't you add more games? And mm. why is it only thirty? Why is it online? Why is it this much money? And and that mm. negative hype builds. And all they have to do is come out and say, uh, we're looking to expand to. Well, that's at thirty games to keep the price down, licensing costs, or but they yeah. give us nothing. Yeah, you know? or the fact that they just can't ship enough and don't say anything else. Apparently, there's rumors now that they canceled production. So. But we didn't know, and there's still no word on it. All I have to do is say, hey, this that's not true. We're still making them. Anything, yeah. but but we get nothing. nothing. <laughs> so then it's doom and gloom internet, or yeah. if you can find that one positive corner of the internet out there and hold on to that and hope that they're going to be right, but it's really, really <laughs> tough to find. That's the problem with Nintendo is you want to love them. You really do, but they just do so much that they don't want to cater to their their audience that's trying to get information um and you know don't get me wrong they still make the best games imaginable they're the best uh, video game developer there's no doubt about it but man do they suck at pr (laughs) yeah yeah and that's the thing everybody's interested in it i have literally played nintendo games with everybody that i know we were on a deployment in the middle of the atlantic ocean and my captain of my ship came down to the lower deck, sat down, and said, hey, do you want to have a round of Dr. Mario? And we were like, yes, yes, we do. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) You know, everybody plays their products. I don't think, yeah, I can't think of anybody who doesn't 
at least enjoy one of their IPs. Some people don't like Mario, that's fine. They have Zelda or they have Mario Kart or, or Smash. Yeah, there's something for everybody. I can't think of somebody who doesn't like one of their properties, actually. And, and I'm not even, not even just everybody. gamers. <laughs> everybody on the planet. Yeah. Mario is as he is more web or just as well known as as Mickey Mouse. You know, wow. like <laughs> we have played I've played Mario with our grandmother. Uh my neighbor across the street is 62. He has come over and played Wii Sports with us. Like <laughs> I have literally played a Nintendo product with everybody I know. It's insane. Yeah. Is it See, I th- I assume Mario would be more popular than Mickey Mouse. I'm he curious. probably is. I, I said Nowadays. Mickey Mouse just cuz you know what I mean? You know. Like, back in the day, Mickey Mouse was huge. I, I don't remember the last time I seen Mickey Mouse in anything. I That's wonder true. if Mario's more popular now. I think the last thing I saw Mickey Mouse in was Super Metroid. What? <laughs> well, there's that room where the, the head is shaped like uh, Mickey Mouse. The oh, room right. looks like a Mickey Mouse shape. Oh, boy, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Kingdom Hearts, I guess, would be the last Mickey Mouse. Uh... Yeah. They've been such a massive influence on my life. They're a huge reason. They are probably the sole reason that I am a, a gamer today. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's no surprise that my favorite consoles come from Nintendo. You know, uh, the well, 3DS, which is your favorite. The 3DS is is easily right now my favorite Nintendo console. I can really? get Super Nintendo games on it. I can get Nintendo games on it. I can get 3DS games on it. I can get Game Boy Advance games on it. And I sorry, I can't get those. And I can get uh, DS games on it. So I mean, I love the 3DS too. Don't get me wrong. I can't say it's my favorite. I guess at the moment, is that I see? Is that what you mean by that? You don't. You don't mean of all time. You just mean currently, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, hmm. I probably would have to mirror that sentiment. And and I don't play a lot of 3DS. I just haven't been playing a lot of Nintendo lately. I guess. Um, I have high hopes for the Switch. I guess you could say. But favorite Nintendo system of all time has got to be the Super Nintendo. I mean, can't be touched. I agree 100%. I mean, all time, it's hard. how do you compete with a Super Nintendo? It's it's the Tough. system that, that showed me what an RPG could be. It, it's a system that dominated platformers, you know? It gave us Yoshi. It gave us uh, Cecil and Terra, you know? It gave <laughs> us Super Metroid. Uh... Super Nintendo, my first introduction to Final Fantasy, like you said. Um, Super Mario World was it took the world by storm, quite literally. Um, when I was a Kid, when I was young, the Super Nintendo, we moved around a lot. We, we, I had like three different elementary schools, four maybe. I had moved around a lot. I had to make my friends over again and over again and over again. And every time I went to a new school, I had one friend in common, and that was Mario. And that's what Nintendo was to me. It was essentially a friend that I always had traveling around with me, even though we kept moving. I still had one friend that I shared with every single person at that in that in my classroom. Um, so, I, I mean, it's been a huge part of my life ever since I was a child. I mean, even now, I'm looking forward to playing these games with my child. Uh, I suppose you could say that that's you know, the appeal of Nintendo is it's 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 a lifelong. You can enjoy it now. You can enjoy it when you're young. It's for everybody. It was my introduction to football. It was my introduction to RPGs. It, it consumed me as a child. I, I had more fun or as much fun playing games on the Nintendo with our parents as I did going out and playing baseball and sports with my friends. That was the crazy thing is that our whole family would get involved. Our parents would help us solve the puzzles, you know, in the Lost oh, Woods yeah. in in uh, Super Mario World. We'd all take turns. So it was a massive part of our growing up. 
And I, I agree in the same way that that meant so much to me. I have passed it on to my child and I play games with her and I watch her play games. And it's I'm happy that they gave us that with our parents and they brought us closer together as brothers. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that I can also do the same with my job. Yeah, it's definitely a company that's easy to be passionate about and it explains their fan base you hear everybody talk about how loyal Nintendo fans are? Well, there's a reason for it. <laughs> they've been around a long time, and they've been consistent for a long time. I sometimes worry that they take for granted how... Um, how... Dedicated? Ardent, <laughs> dedicated, yeah, their fans are. Because yeah. there could come a day when they just make one too many missteps, you know? They well, just the pull U, back man. too much information. <laughs> yeah. See, I can't, I can't get on the Wii U... Um, downer train. I never had a bad experience with it. I got it on day one. But it's not you. What you just said is, is there going to be a point where Nintendo fans don't keep coming back to the trough? You know what I mean? And the Wii yeah. U is that example. I mean, some of us came back, don't get me wrong, but they didn't come in droves like they were. And no, that's true. You, They may be hitting that point where they need to be a little more open. They need to be a little more forward thinking, I guess. Because they're, they're always been a little old school, which is good. Yeah. But it might be time to break away a little bit. If they gave us snippets of information, but I feel like they don't want to give us that because they know any information they give is going to be devoured and poured over and dissected. And, you know, what was the inflection of his tone when he said that word? But they got and nothing I, to hide. Their products stand for themselves. They can say whatever they, they want. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> like, you can't argue with Nintendo quality in their hardware or in their games. And they never, they never went about doing it by being the biggest and the best, you know? You're never going to hear anybody say, oh, man, that Nintendo console had the best power. Maybe the GameCube. But they always did it with software because they knew it doesn't matter how much RAM you have. It doesn't matter how many teraflops your GPU can do. What matters is games. Nobody sits there and scrolls through a UI for two hours saying, man, I love looking at menus. You know what I mean? Nobody... <laughs> No, they don't. They don't do that. Nobody goes, since they're scrolling through specs, oh, man, my Xbox One's so fast. Oh, there's so much RAM in my Xbox One. Oh, I love it. This game's so much. I, I, wanna, I wish I could get an achievement for reading RAM numbers. Like, that doesn't happen. Oh, my God. People have fun no. in games. Yeah. They buy these consoles for the games. Yeah. And if you, the only proof you need of that right now is to look at the PS4 and the Xbox One. The PS4 has more exclusives that reach a broader audience, and it's sold more than double the Xbox One. Mm -hmm. If the Switch is going to be successful, they need to hit that broad audience. It doesn't have to be a carbon copy. They don't need to have to have all the same games. They don't need Call of Duty, Battlefield, Assassin's Creed. Yes, those sell units, but those people are already playing games on another console. What they need is a broad spectrum of games, platformers, RPGs, action, adventure, horror, all of the games from different companies, not just Nintendo, to bring the people in. And if the games are there, the system will sell and the Nintendo will the doom and gloom Nintendo is done can finally stop. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um I like I said before, I I have high hopes for the Switch. Um just the concept of bringing a home console on the go is unheard of. It's unique which is, I guess, the best word to describe Nintendo. They've always tried to be, you know, walk their own path. They don't really care about what everybody else is doing. And the Switch is the perfect example of that. So I'm hoping Wait. you're right. I'm hoping they do stand 
you know, alongside the PlayStation 4. I wouldn't say against it, but alongside it. Which character are you most excited? Who's your favorite character? Who are you dying to see on the Switch? What game is going to be the one that says, I'm going, I'm all in, this is my console? I'm already all in when I get my Mario game. Um, And I would have said Link, but I'm still a little hurt that it wasn't out on Wii U two two years ago (laughs) when it was supposed to be. But they delayed it for the Switch, and I understand it. So I want to say Link, but I can't because it's not going to sell me on it. Um, I'll just go with Mario then because that's the game that I'm pretty hyped for. Yeah, Mario. Shockingly enough for me, it's Splatoon 2. What? <laughs> I had so much fun with Splatoon on the Wii U. Mm-hmm. I played, Emily played, Colleen played, my whole family played, all of our friends played, hours and hours dumped into this online third-person shooter, and I use the term shooter lightly. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they made a sequel and that they're staying dedicated to this new IP, that's what I'm excited about. We've seen Mario in every iteration possible. We've seen Zelda in every iteration possible. Breath of the Wild is supposed to be new, but I'm going to be able to play that on my Wii U. Mm-hmm. I can't justify it. Right. A... Is one of the... What are they? Squid Kids? Who's your favorite character? Nintendo character. I like the Squid Kids. I do. Out of everybody. Out of every Nintendo character, that's your favorite character. Uh, no, Well, no. That They're my current <laughs> hype to play. Okay. I'd have to say it's either uh, Link or Samus. Uh, yeah. Strictly Nintendo characters. That. If they released a side-scrolling Metroid, I would go throw buckets of money at EB Games oh, to get a Switch today. So good. But I feel like I'm not a big fan of first person, and I feel like the next Metroid's going to be a Metroid Prime title. You think? Uh, yeah. I would love for it to go back to side-scrolling, because that would play well on the go, you know? Um, yeah, it would. So I would Maybe they will that. then. That would be, that one, if that came out, that would be an instant hit for me. Hmm. I would also be sold. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's it. That's Nintendo. Yeah. They, uh, they've been around for as long as I've been around, and here's hoping that they're around long after I'm gone, because they've given me nothing but joy. Yeah, I feel like they're in for the long haul. They've already saved the video game market once. Who knows? Maybe they'll have to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Let's hope not. Jason Chewy Slate. I have a love-hate relationship with Nintendo. You see, Nintendo was, quite literally, my childhood. Nintendo and He-Man... And that about sums it up. I got my original Nintendo, or NES as you kids call it, also, get off my lawn, when I was like six or seven. The Super Nintendo was there for me as a gift when I had foot surgery during summer in middle school. And as you know, when you're that young, summer is everything. And I was trapped in the house, so I got a Super Nintendo. I got my Nintendo 64 as an import and played it so much that I completed Super Mario 64 in Japanese. Uh, The 64 also got me through my first two years of college with things like Perfect Dark and Super Smash Bros. The GameCube gave us more Smash Bros. and Eternal Darkness and Mario Kart Double Dash, not to mention all the Mario, Zelda, and Metroid goodness that came from that. In case you can't tell, I've been a huge Nintendo fanboy my entire life. 
Nintendo's always been really good about pushing the envelope for technology and gaming so more people can experience gaming in more ways. I mean, just think about all the bizarre peripherals that they've had for their systems over the years. The Power Pad, the Zapper, the Advantage, the Four Score, Rob, <laughs> the Super Scope, the Power Glove, it's so bad, the Balance Board on the Wii, all of this just so you could have more ways to play games. They had the first truly viable portable gaming system with the Game Boy. Over the years, they refined portable gaming with the various iterations of the Game Boy in the Advance. They added the second screen, a touch screen with the DS, and now they just basically own the portable gaming system world. They wandered into 3D technology with the ill-fated Virtual Boy, and then they tried again, successfully this time, with the 3DS. They were the first to introduce the analog stick as a standard, and the first to play with what we now call rumble technology. They had the first truly amazing wireless controller that I ever knew about with the Wavebird. They championed motion controls with the Wii, and asymmetrical gaming with the Wii U. And just look at the Nintendo Switch and you can see how all of this has come together to produce what will hopefully be one of Nintendo's great console achievements. But even though they're constantly trying to push the technology of gaming itself, they've always been reticent to follow proven trends in gaming. They were the last of the big three to fully move into disc technology, and then when they did they went with proprietary mini-DVDs. They seemed, for some reason, to be absolutely against online functionality. They finally relented with the Wii, which still just gave us overpriced downloadable games on the virtual console and <laughs> friend codes. Buh. And this was well after the Xbox Live system had been around for actual years. And while other systems had all your digital content tied to your account, the Wii and even the Wii U have it tied to your console. Meaning if your system ever bricks for some reason, you lose everything. These are not things that are good for consumers. But let's not forget my biggest beef with Nintendo in recent years. They seem to have no idea how modern game marketing has evolved with the rise of YouTube. I started a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash the shameless plug, just because I wanted to play some of my favorite Nintendo games from the past, for an audience, and share my love and experiences with these games with other people. I wanted to play the original Legend of Zelda, and Super Metroid, and Mario 64, three games that are near and dear to my heart. And I can't, because Nintendo seems to think that their games appearing on YouTube will just take revenue from them. Nintendo will issue a copyright claim on the video whether it falls under fair use or not, and they'll take the monetization on said video for themselves. But if you sign up for their Nintendo Creators program, they'll only take 40% of your money for those videos instead of all of it. And if your entire channel is nothing but Nintendo content, they'll only take 30%. How magnanimous. But it's not like we're talking about small narrative experiences by a small indie developer. For example, the developers of That Dragon Cancer claim that they suffered financial losses because more people were watching Let's Plays of their game than were actually buying the game. And that's a whole topic in and of itself, but that's not Nintendo. Nintendo doesn't make these small experiences, they make 
games where the gameplay is the most important point. You can't experience the gameplay of a Mario or a Zelda game from watching someone else play it. I would say, oh, that spoils the story, but the story in these games really, actually, literally don't matter. The joy is in the playing of the game. And I severely doubt that someone watching me play Mario 64 is gonna hurt Virtual Console or 3DS sales of that game, you know? So this sums up my love-hate relationship with Nintendo. I think they're doing great things for gaming, but they're really not doing great things for gamers. And that makes me sad. Because I still am, after all these years, a Nintendo fanboy. Matt Wardle. Ah, oh, so Amiibo. Oh, yeah, that, that was a thing. <laughs> Man, I'm trying to think of how I even got sucked in in the first place. Oh, Jin showed them first to me. I don't know, maybe three months before they came out? And I actually had absolutely zero interest in them whatsoever. Clown college. You can't eat that. Well, I got everything I was supposed to get. I'm not going to enroll in that clown college, though. And she showed them to me, and I'm like, okay, that's great. I have no idea what they do. Not sure I really care. That advertisement had no effect on me whatsoever. Shortly after they came out, a friend of mine uh, brought them down and uh, started showing me what the, what they could do uh, with some of the uh, Wii U games. And all of a sudden, I'm going, oh, well, this is a little different. And, uh, and the quality of them, I'm going, wow, these are really, really neat. Maybe I should start picking them up. Then I just completely got hooked on them. Started picking them up wherever I could. I, I rarely collect things, but these I started collecting, and really it was only the uh, Super Smash Brothers line, otherwise uh, I'm going, well, there's <laughs> there's far too many of these things. Yeah, I, I'd be spending a small fortune on them. And then I started watching the, the whole uh, shortage uh, start blowing up like crazy. And at that point, yeah, then I started grabbing as many of the first edition ones as I could. Not so much to, to start flipping them or anything. You know, just getting in on the ground floor of something like that. Yeah, you know, it had been a long time since uh, since I had done something like that. So I would pick up collections here and there uh, if people had extras. Yeah, people, you know, getting out of it going, you know, this is, this is getting too crazy for me. You know, I don't want to go through all the headache and trying to go through the eBay scalping and uh, yeah, whatever it would be. But it was really neat getting involved with, with a community. Uh, I got involved with the Reddit community a little bit. Would trade back and forth. You know, some people like, okay, well, uh, I have a, a villager or I have a link or whatever it might be. You know, what do you have? You know, trade back and forth and uh, watching watching this community develop. You're going through like a vetting process of this person's trustworthy, this one's not. I, I never heard anything back from this person. How much do you want for these? So on and so forth. And and how disturbingly organized it was. And then you started watching things on the uh, uh, like in stock now and when they would announce the launch dates and. It was really just a lot of fun, you know, maybe camping out at uh, at a Target or, you know, okay, well, huh, am I going to be able to get to Target, the Toys R Us, and watching the hours? I, like I said, it's one of the few things that I ever really got into collecting, but it was a lot of fun. So there would be some that, uh, you know, I, I would take out of the box and actually use and then, you know, um, keep a... You know, a box set, ju just for the heck of it. Um, I mean, right now, I still have, um, hmm, 
I'd call it one and a half collections of the uh, the Super Smash Brothers line. I have one of every one of them released to date. Well, at least the North American packaging. Yeah, and that was another thing. You would start watching them going, "Oh, well, that one's the European one. I don't want the European one. I want the I want the North American version uh, because those are harder to find." Blah 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 blah. You know, pick up you know loose ones you know for cheaper where I could. Um, but yeah, no, I still have you know a full set of Super Smash Brothers for everything that's released to this point. Uh, I think I got some of the Super Mario World ones too, but then I've got I think Waves one through four, all first edition of uh, Super Smash Brothers. That's where I say one and a half. So I've got a full thing, and then uh, after that one, um, I picked that one up for uh, for cheap off of someone who just wanted to get out of the uh, get out of the collection business. And I haven't decided uh, what I'm going to do with them because um, then they started reissuing them, which you, you knew they would. Uh, so you just started watching the prices, you know, drop off the uh, the table there. So yeah, I'm I'm just gonna hang on to these for uh, for a while. Sometimes you just see Nintendo uh, memorabilia and uh, products kind of you know, drop down, and then you know over the years they'll, they'll pick back up as you know it's harder and harder to find. A- admittedly, I'm really glad it's over, and I really you know I'm kind of happy I <laughs> I got out of that relatively unscathed without dropping uh, a ton of extra money. I think probably the the priciest one, um, yeah, was definitely uh, probably first edition Villager, but I can't remember what I paid for it. But I mean, I saw people spending you know like 120, 130, 150, 60 on uh, on them at one point, and uh, yeah, luckily I I didn't get uh, didn't get gouged that hard. Loretta Sailor. It's not... It's not just because I'm a gamer that I love these games. It's not... It's not just that elated feeling I get when I kick the crap out of Ganon. Or, you know, I've, I've beaten King Koopa and I've saved the princess. It's not just that. You know, because... There, there are games that are such a challenge that I, you know, you love for the puzzles. You know, you, you, you watch your cousins play play the Laura Croft games on on other systems, but you know, everybody, everybody in my family remembers the Great Deco Tree and remembers going in there for that first time and just like, you know, wow! And then, holy crap, is that a spider? I don't know. Bonnie's screaming at me, "Kill it, Laura! Kill it!" Beating the horse race again for like the fifth time for my cousin Castriot. Or going in there and, and getting him the ice arrows so that so that he could have it for the last time. You know, he could have it he could have it and have the game be complete. Like he'd have everything in the game. And hunting down the ghosts so that I could, you know, get him the last glass bottle in Zelda. He <laughs> It was it was a matter of bonding. It wasn't just it wasn't just for the love of games. It was it was a family thing, and I I miss it. I didn't realize how much I missed it until I moved to Austin, and you know I went from having you know a hundred people to play with at any given time, or at the very least you know two other people. 
Bana when she felt like it. Austin was always up for a game. Although, good God, playing any kind of Lego Star Wars or Lego Batman game with my little brother was frustrating because it's one of those games where you're supposed to be co-oping, you know, you're supposed to, you break things apart and you get the little, little bits so that you can buy other characters. And I'm trying to go through and I'm trying to just get us through this level so we can get the characters and then we can go back and get all the bits and do all this. And I swear to God, Austin was impossible to play with because he kept wanting to go ahead or he kept wanting to go off and do another thing. So my character is on this one side and I'm thinking he's right behind me and I'm trying to unlock this puzzle so we can get the hell out. And my character ends up getting dragged off a cliff or something because he's off doing his own little thing, you know? But it didn't matter because we were playing together. And when I moved to Austin, there was no one really to play with. Even though I'm not living in my parents' house again, and even though, you know, there aren't as many people to play with anymore, because everybody's growing up, everybody's got their things to do. Um, my biggest regret is selling that Nintendo 64. Uh, I had to sell it so I could move out of Austin and back to back to, to Dallas-Fort Worth. But I wish I'd kept it. And actually one of my goals is to make enough money and buy either a brand new Nintendo 64 on Amazon or go back to that little shop in Austin and buy back the system and as many of my games as I can find you know and, and four good controllers and just bring it over to my mom's house and just you know me, Austin, Bana and whoever else happens to be there you know maybe Maybe our dad, you know, my, my stepdad, Clay, you know, he was the one who, who bought that for us. All four of us could duke it out on Smash Brothers one more time. Just the family being there together in front of that screen, playing Smash Brothers, playing Mario Kart, playing Donkey Kong beating the crap out of each other on games or just trash talking, whatever, but just being together. That's what it meant. That's what it was. That's what it is. And that's what I miss.
Okay, after hearing that, I decided to get Loretta a Nintendo 64, because I don't know about you, but I can't hear a friend of mine in that way and not do something about it. But this is not me being Oprah. I'm not, you get an N64 and you get an N64. No, it's, it's just Loretta. But I got some things to talk about regarding Nintendo. A couple of things, and they don't necessarily lead on from each other. One thing, I've drifted from the Nintendo Wii U. I was never a huge fan of the Wii U. Not because of the games. The games were great, especially after the Wii. I hated waggle control, and I hated how horrible an SD that thing looked. It was a... PlayStation 2, GameCube, it, it just, you know, when we, like, moved on to HD in 2005 with the 360 and everyone started picking up HD TVs, the Wii looked like ass from day one. I never liked the Wii, ever. And it wasn't just what it looked like, the idea of playing something, one of the in-depth games, you know, I wanted depth, and Twilight Princess looked like ass, played like ass. And I thought, well, you can just get the GameCube version. Oh, that's fine. 60, 70 pounds. You know what? I'll just play 360 games. And I drifted away. So my favorite Zelda games of that generation were Darksiders. Sidebar, I was waiting to finish Wind Waker before I started Twilight Princess HD. It looked lovely, but I was like, no, no, I've got to finish Wind Waker. Finally, at last. Still haven't. I'm stuck on the Earth Temple. But I broke in the wait for Breath of the Wild. I needed a Zelda fix. And my god, I really like Twilight Princess now. Controls, lovely. Looks, lovely. Fantastic dungeons. I cannot go back from HD to SD. It's too hard. It's way easier to go back to pixels than it is to polygons. But then I got the Wii U, like, a day before they announced that there was definitely going to be a new Nintendo console coming very soon. Uh, and I enjoy the machine. It's lovely seeing those gorgeous HD graphics on uh, Wind Waker, and, and Mario Kart 8 is sublime. I love the Wii U. There is no better feeling in gaming for me, at least in a group experience, than getting everyone together to play Mario Kart. And we can do that with Mario Kart 8. Well, technically, we can't do that with the Switch. So if I get Mario Kart 8 on the Switch, I'm also going to have to invest 70, 80 bucks in another pair of Joy-Cons. So that's less tempting, especially since the game is effectively the same. Because that's the thing. The Switch is a do-over on the Wii U. The same as the Wii is a do-over on the GameCube. The Wii is basically, internally, a GameCube with a different interface. And the Switch, from the looks of it, is a little bit more powerful than the Wii U, but not by much. And they've taken that gamepad design and said, what if you could take it anywhere? As opposed to, I go into my office with the gamepad and, oh, I've lost connection. Or I go upstairs to bed with the gamepad and, oh, I've lost connection. What's the point of it being mobile? Basically, the only use for it is if you're sat there in a chair while other people are watching telly or something and you're just, like, ignoring them while you're beavering away. And that, that's, that's something I think the Switch could deal with. The other thing is, of course, battery life. That... Wii U controller is horrible for battery. You come back to the Wii U after weeks away, and you go, I might play some Wii U today. No, I won't, because it's dead. Okay, I guess I'll plug it in, and then you're tethered to the wall. It's like, it's like you know those um, saline drips? Like, I've always had a fear of being in hospital hooked up to one of those. I do not envy everyone who's had that done to them. That's what it's like having a gamepad. Well, it's less painful and terrible. But it, it, there is a... 
a connection between those two scenarios being tethered to the wall while it charges up. So that's your entire session, tethered to the wall. Or you can go, I want to play some Wii U. Better charge it. That's four hours. So like you can play the Wii U later today if you want. So that's kind of like every single time you play anything on Wii U, it's the same as a massive install on your Xbox One or your PS4. But the Switch can take everything that was great about the Wii U, add some new stuff, deal with that battery issue because it's constantly in a charging dock. Great idea. And I'm really excited for that thing. I really am. But there is the problem of it being marketed as a toy. There is the possibility that this will end up just a bunch of mini-game shuffleware. And re-releases of Wii U games we've already played... But you know, that's fine, that's a good mix, as long as they get new stuff on the horizon. thing about Nintendo games, though, is that they hold their value. There's something in that. If you go into CEX or Game uh, in the UK, and I would imagine GameStop in America, and you look at old Xbox One games, they rock it down in price to about a quarter of what they originally came out at. Or, or a fifth. And you know, they can get down really low, depending on if it's an installment. Wii U games, especially the, the headline Nintendo properties, might drop down to two-thirds, maybe half, but they're not going less than half. And in some cases, they go for higher than retail price. You know, old Pokemon games that are now hard to find, that's going to be higher on the secondary market. Not all old Pokemon games, but some of them. And they hold their value. What does that mean? I think it means that people keep Nintendo games. They don't just, they're not disposable in that same way. They feel special. The whole, I, I have not done an episode, why is Microsoft special? And I never will. But we keep our copies of Metroid. We keep our copies of Zelda. So they don't flood the market with the games that we want. There's a ton of shovelware out there. But the headline games retain their value. And because of that, because these things matter to us, there is an excitement at the launch of every console. Every new Nintendo console, as has been said repeatedly on this show, fills us with these giddy sensibilities of, oh, this what, this time, this time Nintendo will nail it. And you know what? They haven't. You know, for a long, long time, Nintendo have not nailed it. Not really. Not in the way that we think. I think the Super Nintendo was the last time Nintendo nailed it. With a handheld, they nailed it with the DS. No doubt about that. Fantastic games on the DS, and it was hugely popular. But the N64? Not as huge a seller, and PlayStation ruled the roost that generation. The GameCube? PlayStation 2 ruled the roost that generation. The Wii? That did fantastically. And the games were a deluge of cack. And the Wii U, way better games. And nobody cares. So once again, we've got these feelings. Maybe it'll work for Nintendo this time. Let me tell you one thing I don't like about Nintendo. Manufactured scarcity. I tried to buy a mini NES the other day, the other month. A long, many months ago. This is just like a little mini console you strap to your TV and it plays old NES games. They knew they'd be popular. They knew that, say... A million people would want them. And they made a quarter million. Why? Because they don't like money? Because those headlines really raise their stock prices? Is it really worth that versus the other mini Nezes they'd sell? It feels like either, either they're inept 
and they didn't know how many would sell and that the demand would be there, either they're inept or they planned it. And we know they're not inept. We hope they're not inept. Sometimes it feels like, yippee the mathematical dog, how many NES minis are we going to need? And they sit there, and then eventually the dog keels over dead. It's like, right, he stopped at 250,000, so we're going to make exactly that many. That can't be the case. It can't, can it? So then they get in son of Yippie and say, how many Switch consoles will we need? <laughs> so it could go either way at the moment. You could be looking all over the place for a Switch. It could be like the Wii. And Christmas time could be a nightmare getting hold of them. Or it could be like the Wii U. Like, you know, have you got any Wii U's left? And then the guys stood there in a warehouse filled with Wii U's. Yeah, a couple. But again, as Darren said, as the Cartridge Bros said, it's lack of communication. And I don't know what that gets them. Aside from headlines in the, the mini NES, lack of... What, what would they communicate there? We purposefully withheld amounts. Their press release on that was, oh, some of the parts are hard to find. Some of the parts are hard to find. Well, tell you what, let's wait until you've got all those parts, then release it. Like, And the other thing is, people are saying... Is the Mini S done? Are they going to finish, like, have they ceased production on that? And everyone's freaking out and they're rocketing up on eBay and the scalpers are going nuts. The scalpers make out like bandits, literal bandits, on the Wii scarcity, on the Mini NES scarcity, on the Amiibo scarcity. And Nintendo have this way of being like your oblivious aunt who's like, everything's fine, this is fine. <laughs> No, there's problems. People are freaking out, Nintendo. Answer to them. And mm, they're not the only company to do this, but they, by any means, most companies do this. But most of their press releases are like, we are really super psyched about the massive demand for these machines. All you have to do is pretend to be people. Just say, they're coming, folks. We're making some more. We're predicting October. It may be a little after that. We'll let you know. We'll keep you updated. Have a website with constant updates. I know it sounds mental, but yeah, so Switch is their do-over of the Wii U, same as Wii was their do-over of the GameCube. And I have to ask, what's the right level of success, Nintendo? Because the Wii did gangbusters, and your game suffered for it. And then the Wii U didn't do fantastically, and you pretty much shelved it and went, right, let's try that one again. So is there a happy medium in between where enough people go, we all want this toy for our living room, granny can play it. And at the same time, enough fantastic games are coming out for it that your core base go, this is brilliant, best Nintendo games console ever. I hope they hit that biting point. I really do. Because further to my article on it, Nintendo really are that annoying friend that could do so many great things. They have such potential. And you can't let them go. Partly because of our childhoods. And because of those happy times that they gave us. We can't repay them for that. You know, we can repay them with our patronage, but we that what they gave us was priceless. And the best thing, I suppose, in this scenario is that you can just say, I'm not interested, and... You can drift away, and you can go about your business and your own life. And at some point, something's going to get to you the way that Pokemon Go got to people. 
and suddenly you're back there again and you're a kid again and you've got that chunky controller in your hands contrary to popular belief that child doesn't go away you just get taller and you earn more money and you take on responsibilities and you have children of your own but you're always going to be that kid scared angry joyful huge thank you to all of my guests the voices you heard on this episode full credits in the show notes next week since you're all in a nintendo mood i'm gonna double down and release our third legends of zelda show talking about a link between worlds and many other games in the series that we haven't gone into deeply yet Sometime after that, when I finish Breath of the Wild, you can expect a fourth show on this most recent game, which I'm led to believe is pretty special. And I'm going to let Lyra play us out with some words on Nintendo movies and what she thinks about the heroes of the future. If you could put a finger on it, what is it about Nintendo that makes it feel special and different from all the other video games? Well, how do I explain? It's like you you can enjoy ones that are new, so you can have new experiences, but you can also enjoy ones that are like from the olden days. If you're playing Mario, which is new, like um, Super Mario 3D World or the cat one. If you do the pixelated ones, then it's like you're just changing from time to time, but you don't need time to, to try and travel. Time, ah, time travel. And if, if Nintendo could do anything new that you'd like to see them do, what would it be? If I would like it, then I would want it to be all the pixelated games, all the new games, and all the middle-aged ones. Um, they're in at the start, the prologue. Um, the very deep, dark, evil person would open a portal to create calamity, so that all of those games would just start fighting each other. So you're talking like a Secret Wars Nintendo crossover. Would you like to see Nintendo make movies? Mm-hmm. Okay. What would they be like? What I'd like for them to do for a start is that men don't need to keep saving women. I want a woman that loves a man to get to the boss. Do you think that for the first Mario movie, 
that it would be an idea for Princess Peach to actually save Mario at some point in the movie. What about Princess Peach and Daisy find Luigi and Mario? Oh yeah. And similarly, Zelda needs to be able to do something interesting in there. What would a Zelda movie be like? Mm, it's going to be very good. All of Link's things are spread off around all the world. And um, Zelda has to find them to bring Link's strengths back because right now he has no strength, so he can't go out into the wild. Yeah, that literally sounds like doing Link's job. Mm. You know, Nintendo actually said um, if we give Zelda any agency, like if we allow Zelda to be playable as the main character in this game, even if we make it, you can choose between Zelda and between Link. Mm. If Zelda's your hero, What's Link going to do? He's going to be a little princess for once. <laughs> well, I thought it would be cool if um, there were like a, a clever branching game wherein uh, Link gets into trouble and Zelda has to save him. Uh, not necessarily with the same princessy duties. Like, you know, Link could be trying to do his Link thing and then Zelda's like, no, I, I guess I have to pick up the sword now. More like Resident Evil 2 than Pokemon. You play through both sides of the adventure. It doesn't mean that Link has to be rendered powerless, but he can be in trouble and Zelda can go and, and fetch him. The Princess Thieves, available on Kindle and Bandcamp audio drama. Now she could go to where Link was trapped. And then there was a big boss that was the boss that Link was fighting's cousin. That makes sense. They do make you fight the same boss again. Mm. Repeatedly in Zelda games. But this is the cousin. And, um... Hey, my cousin. Well, he doesn't have that accent. He is... <laughs> accent. <laughs> um, and when she finds out that the cousin's just angry because the one that he was fighting demanded him to fight and he has to do it quick because and get rid of any person that tries to that tries to stop stop the boss from returning because right now the boss needs time to get back to his body which his cousin has provided when zelda finds out that um, the cousin of Link's boss was really sad because he wanted to help his father, his um, father, but he didn't want to want to be bad. And then Zelda gives him enough courage to fight back, and then the boss is properly defeated forever. <laughs> 